from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Make sure you're listening into the show during our normally scheduled times, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You can also typically watch simultaneously during those times on Facebook Live on Facebook.com backslash live now dt so we appreciate you being here appreciate you being a part of wake up call with dan tortora the main internet streaming feed for the radio is mixlr.com backslash wake up call dt once again that stands for mix live radio you can go direct to that link on any device or you can download the mixlr app and search Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and listen in that way. Becoming a member is free, totally free, completely free, and, oh yeah, it's free. So make sure that you join and become a member because membership has its privileges. The members are the only ones that can chat with us live in the chat room during every live broadcast, and they have the opportunity to connect with us by getting an email every single time the show goes live. So all you have to do as a member when the show goes live, it'll alert you and say, Wake Up Call is live on MixLR. You open your email, you click to listen, simple as that. From any device, anywhere in the world, make sure that you become a member because it's free, it's easy, and it's awesome, and it connects you to us, and we always appreciate building our network and and building our brand with you and, and building our connection to the community. So we thank you so much for that. With that being said, we have our TGIF show today, as this is Friday, Friday, November 15th, and we always are so glad to have you here Monday through Friday. We're on the road, so that's why you're not seeing us in our traditional sense on facebook.com backslash live now DT, but continuing to listen here on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, and of course on wakeupcalldt.com, how you can connect with the show. So we thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast. We're always, even when we're traveling on the road, we're always proud to call Charney's our studio partner, Charney's Menswear and Tuxedos, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. So we appreciate them very, very much. So regular, big and tall sizes, all different sizes for all different styles. And, and, and basically, no matter who you are, what you're looking for, every man can find something at Charney's. So dress up and dress down on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. We're going to start off today's show with Mon Pa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factories. What's popping? As we do every Monday through Friday, they tell us what's coming up on the show. So the first thing here will be the annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt. And then we'll move into significant sound bites. Today's special spotlight guest will be Sean Hickey, Syracuse Orange offensive line alum. He's going to be joining us to speak on being on the offensive line, his experience at Syracuse, what he took away from it, as well as you know how long it takes to gel an offensive line and how important the offensive line is. I really, I mean, with with all the woes this season with the offensive line and all the adversity, I felt like it was important to get a perspective from not only a former Syracuse offensive lineman, 
but a very successful Syracuse offensive lineman. So he'll be joining the show to speak from things from his angle as, as a former offensive lineman. And we will also be discussing Syracuse's football season as a whole this season. His thoughts on Dino Babers, college football around the country, kind of how things look right now, how he sees the ACC looking. And we will also discuss NCAA ruling to allow players to get paid for their name, image, and likeness, and what his take is on that. So all of that's coming up with Sean Hickey. But keeping with the Syracuse theme, I do want to make a note here at the top of the show today. The Syracuse team has only played two games this season, and fans know how to support because that's what they do. Fanatics are the ones that said after game one, this is a terrible season. It was one game. Now the team has two games. They're at 500. That's what happens when you play only two games. You know, you, you don't have to freak out because you're either 0-2, 2-0, or 1-1. Syracuse is now back even because there's only two games that have been played on the schedule so far. So I think everybody should take a little. And let's just see where it goes from here. Syracuse has five true freshmen. It's going to take some time. So Quincy, Quincy Garrier on the team, John Boljak, as well as Joe Girard the third. Bryson Gooding, a part of this program as well. And of course, uh, Jesse Edwards is here with us. So we, we appreciate, you know, Syracuse being a part of this 2019-20 season that just began. I want to let people know that it's only two games into the season. So I think life's going to be okay. And I don't think that anybody needs to pull the plug on the season and be worried about that. So let's just Take a deep breath, relax, and real realize that life is more than two games. And this Syracuse team is finding itself. They're finding their chemistry. And, I mean, for me, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where this team goes this year because, you know, it's it's very atypical for Bayheim to have five true freshmen on the team all come in, you know, and, and be in this program here and experiencing it at the same time. So I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's exciting. I think it's I, I definitely am looking forward to seeing what this team can do, you know, how Robert Braswell can move himself up as a sophomore, what Buddy Bayheim's gonna do as a sophomore, and Marek Dolajai as a junior, you know, will he involve himself more in the offensive game because he has range and obviously he has ability. So I'd love to see what he can do to expand his game. Elijah Hughes to see his leadership and can he step up and can he be you know, the guy to take the baton when that needs to be taken. Howard Washington Jr., where does he fit into everything? Will he be something that, you know, will he be a player that Jim Beheim can lean on? Will Beheim, you know, give him an opportunity to to move forward in the grand scheme of things? And Barama Sidibe, you know, where where does he sit in all of this? Can he be involved more offensively? Will he bring more to the inside presence? Will Syracuse finally have an inside presence and be able to go up against teams in that respect because that's obviously very, very important and vital to have. So I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it and, and what this season's going to bring. So we will dive into that in the coming week and all throughout the season and to move on into the rest of the show today. After Sean Hickey, we will announce our top dog of the week, proudly presented by Canine Camp Dog Daycare and Canine Camp Grounds. And then we will finish off the show with a conversation with my longtime friend, someone who I consider my brother, Ross Turetsky, a sportscaster and sports writer and just an all-around awesome sports mind and even better person. He'll be joining the show to round us out here today on Friday, November 15th. So without further ado, let's hop right into it, the annoying moment of the week. 
Tortora proudly brings you... Is that for real? Are you kidding me? The annoying moment of the week. I, I really honestly, I don't know how to respond to this. Presented by Carvel DeWitt. 4322 East Genesee Street. It's what happy tastes like. Do you have to be that crazy? I guess so. This week's annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say, for me, it's you know I like to move around. I like to you know I like to get going. I like to keep. I feel like I move around a lot. You know, like I don't sit still. But when I'm in the studio and I got to edit and this, that, and the other, you know, the the, the sciatica, right? The the tailbone and the lower back. I just feel like I can't get comfortable. I put a cushion there in the studio. It doesn't work out. I'm not an old man, you know, and, and even if I was an older person, I always want to stay healthy. So I'd have to say my annoying moment of the week is just feeling, you know, that back pain, which goes down your legs and can hit you in the feet. And, you know, what I've realized from sitting a lot that I have to do for my show and I travel a lot. So you're in the car and you're on the plane, you know, is, is that I'll have this pain go down my legs and it'll it'll actually go to my feet and my feet will hurt right in the middle, you know, it'll just like pierce. So if anybody has any good thoughts about, you know, chiropractor work or anything like that, I know my guy Tim Whiting's teaching now, but, you know, if anybody's got some good ideas about exercises you can do at home or, you know, things that things that I could do, ways that I can sit, posture and whatnot, please send them over to me because I want to live to be 100 plus and I want to be as healthy as possible. And so, you know, for me, it would be great to be a little more comfortable in the studio and, and feel a little bit better here because I'm sitting all the time. You know what I mean? So I and, and for the travel and whatnot. So if people just have little tips and tricks that can, you know, help protect the body and, you know, keep me keep me feeling good because healthy mind, healthy body, healthy heart, healthy soul. They all got to go to, together to make it all work right. So if you can help me along in that area, I would greatly appreciate that so that it no longer has to annoy me and be the annoying moment of the week. Proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt, 4322 East Genesee Street in DeWitt, New York. It is what happy tastes like. And we'll take a step aside to hear from our great partners in Central and Upstate New York. And we'll be right back at it with significant sound bites right after this. This is a wake-up call fast break. Having peace of mind when you're out of town that your furry loving friend is safe and sound means taking them to Canine Campground because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets, it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound. Right, Lily? So take a ride to 242 Johnson Street in East Syracuse, New York and see Canine Campground and where your dog will be staying in the classic cabin, the executive cabin, the grand cabin, or of course the luxury cabin because if you know Lily, you know she loves luxury. <laughs> now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend that'll take your dog for a few days. Call Canine Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pickup times are Monday through Sunday. Check K9 campground.com for more information that's the letter k the number nine and campground spelled with a k.com k9campground.com when you're going out of town bring your dog to canine campground 
I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop Unica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. When Wake Up Call is not on the road, you'll see us inside of our studios on Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash live now DT. But when we are on the road, we also do many videos. And so you can always watch those on the same link, facebook.com backslash live now DT. So with all that being said, it is a portion of Friday's show where we do a segment called Significant Sound Bites. And that segment is dedicated to a spotlight interview. And I thought that this was perfect because Syracuse's offensive line has been going through a lot of woes this year. And this man knows it better than anybody. You know, being on Syracuse in the past, being an offensive lineman in the past, and just, you know, what it takes and the thankless job that it is a lot of the time. And when things are going well, people don't know your name. And when things are going bad, then, you know, they, they're blaming you and whatnot. So, you know, he knows the offensive line through and through. He can speak on it and give a great angle to that. He's also one of the great offensive linemen that have come through Syracuse in recent history. He had an opportunity in the NFL. He has a story to tell from that. And, and of course, we can speak about players getting paid inside of the NCAA now, student-athletes getting paid for name, image, and likeness. So, so much coming up here with our spotlight conversation, and that is with Sean Hickey of Syracuse Orange Football History. It's been way too long. He said that when we first jumped on the phone off the air here. It's been a long time since him and I have spoken, and I've missed the conversation, and so I'm hoping that this will be the beginning of of many conversations that we'll have, and, and it's my honor, as always, to have him on the show. So let's bring him in. Sean, how you doing today? Hey, Dan, how you doing? Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and and Sean, first and foremost, for you, you know, you and I were talking off the air about your story and kind of what you went through and injury and whatnot and, and you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, because I know you shared it with me and I feel like we built that relationship and I appreciate it tremendously. And so, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing today, I'd love to share your story a little bit here. Yeah, so I had to stay quiet uh, for a long time coming out of college and my early career and about an injury that I knew was always going to be a challenge going to the NFL. And some teams were okay with it. Some teams weren't. I did fail multiple physicals and some teams passed me. I always had to sign an injury waiver after my rookie year. Is Ever since I was about in eighth grade, I had 
multiple disc issues in my low back and I had dealt it through through high school, through college, and I was able to manage it and the training staffs would really work with you in college to make you ready for the for the uh for the game and whatnot. They'd be very they cater towards you, but when you get to the NFL and there's money involved, if you get hurt and then you have to do an injury settlement and you get put on IR it, it becomes a, a different type of ball game and you have to either stay quiet about it or if you can't stay quiet about it and your play is going to suffer in practice or in training camp or in a preseason game and your film's going to suffer and they're not going to know why. So it gets a little dicey uh, territory. So my rookie year, I missed the first preseason game because of, it, of aggravating in training camp after having a good camp and I played the final three games uh, very well, signed on uh, with the Saints practice squad and I felt that was a good opportunity. However, they let me go a week later because of basically because of the injury. So then I had to, I went into uh, Colorado actually and got some stem cell therapy and a PRP therapy done on it. And I actually didn't blow my back out since, but I still would have to deal with that issue. It would still hurt. It would still be shaky at times. And teams knew of the history at this point, but I couldn't really tell anybody through the media or I couldn't couldn't say anything for my own career's sake so uh and that was also what helped me fall in the draft a little bit and that was that was very disappointing at that time and i just had to change my mentality and say you you're walking into work every day i caught on with minnesota you have to play your best absolute football stay healthy and make them want to keep you around and that worked out in minnesota and then a year later it worked out in miami and uh once you're not, once you're off your first team, you're known as a cuttable guy, and, and it's right, and it's right place, right opportunity, right timing. And I kind of had it, and I kind of didn't. And I had friends that were out of the league. I met that were out of the league earlier than me, and then there were a couple guys in my situation that actually caught on. One example is Jesse Davis in uh, Miami. I was teammates with him briefly in New York. And I met up with him in Miami, and he, we were in the same position. He got there a few months earlier, and he's starting right now, and he signed a $15 million contract for three years. I'm extremely proud of him. So he's an example of right place, right time. And uh, for me, I got let go because they needed a center. And then I, I signed on with the Jaguars and with Coach Marone, and everything was going well. And I was uh, very excited. And then last year they had a good amount of injuries, but then I blew my cap training camp. And I didn't get any film was the biggest part because it was before the first game. So I knew at that point I was kind of in trouble uh, not having film. The film in the preseason was kept my career alive for the three years that I did. And then going into the fourth year, not getting film, tough pill to swallow. And I stayed in shape through the season and a little bit through the draft because sometimes uh, opportunities pop up after the draft. You get, you get invited to a mini camp and then you could sign on. I didn't hear anything. So then I was like, all right, my career's over. I'm going to lose weight. Started losing weight, and the XFL called. And I was like, I'll just go to their combine, see how I do, the showcase. And I did well, and then they offered me to – they signed me into their draft pool, and they said we we value NFL experience. The pay they were saying was going to be 100000 for 10-week season, and that's what they were selling everybody in the beginning. So a lot of us put our lives off – through the draft in October and then the Friday before the draft they say it's going to go down to 55,000 only 27,000 guaranteed and their excuse was because the AAFL failed the year prior but they had five times the funding and they knew the AAF failed back in March so it didn't really make sense why you would tell us in June you'd be making 100,000 
yeah. instead of instead of fifty five thousand because of the AAFL excuse. I just felt they just wanted to get people sucked into the league close enough to the season where you're like, all right, you already waited this long. You might as well take fifty five thousand for half a year, which I still would have done. But then I, I waited all that time, and then they st- then basically the feedback I got said they really liked. Like you, you had an NFL experience, but they were, but they valued more recent tape that they could watch than experience. So then I kind of wasted all those months for nothing. So now uh, I'm losing weight and transitioning out and moving on to my next career. But yeah, that was kind of like my post Syracuse road uh, since I left, and it was kind of ups and downs. I thought I was done uh, before I got to Minnesota, and I kind of thought I was done before I got to Miami. And I got I got to catch on and then keep my career going a little longer, so I'm happy about that. A couple of down points in my life before those opportunities. I'm happy I got those, but uh, native about four years, so it's uh, not exactly what I wanted when I left Syracuse. But uh, not a lot of people can say that they stuck around that long. So no, and, and you know, for you and and like I told you off the air, you know, I'm very sorry to hear about everything that's happened and everything that you went through and, and the fact that you had that turmoil of, of, you know, you couldn't really talk about your back and different things that have been bothering you because you didn't want to, you know, obviously hurt yourself for the future and you were able to play through things and be successful and whatnot. So, you know, I mean, what did all this teach you to, to go through everything that you went through, to have the adversity that you've had, to had, you know, kind of keep, keep a part of you to yourself and, you know, not, not hide, but, but to just, you know, not be able to, to tell the whole story, so to speak until now. And then, you know, to go through the adversity and the injuries and then being lied to by, you know, the XFL and they, they're going to give you this and now they're going to give you that. What did all this teach you? It made me extremely independent. Uh, so when you when you get, when you go on these practice, when you go on, like when you sign on to a roster, the 90 man, and then you get brought back for practice squad, and it's a week-to-week life. And you have to, a lot of times, you live in an extended stay hotel. You don't know how long it's going to be. Like, I got cut once because in Minnesota because I, the sa- safety got hurt. They didn't want to put him on IR, so then they had to bring in another safety for the practice squad, and they let me go, and they said, nothing to do with your play. You're playing really well. We have to let you go for numbers. And... When I got let go from Miami, it's because I could play four positions, but a kid that they brought in couldn't snap the ball that they did, and they didn't want to cut a rookie right away. So I got let go because I was there a long, a while, and they wanted to give younger guys, younger than me, a shot. And you kind of learn to live on eggshells in your job, walking through the facility every day, giving your best effort, but you truly don't know how long you're going to be there. And that teaches you a lot. And also going into new cities by yourself, you go into a city and you're uh, being a, at the time being a single guy, I I mean, I'm not married, but being a single guy and you go in and you leave, you leave work for the day and everybody's going back to their families and you kind of have to make your own way in that city. And that that taught, that teaches you a lot to live on your own, to go out and meet friends, make, uh, make acquaintances, all that kind of on your own. And I really, that was value. That's value knowledge that I'm extremely grateful that I got and kind of whatever I was at Syracuse life was kind of great. What life was great. It talking to the media all the time. I always ask for interviews, all the, 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 atten- like not, not necessarily the attention, but 
the success I had. And then a lot of people were really pumped before the draft and that were always there. And then they kind of, when things go south, you kind of don't hear from them anymore. Kind of like that same old story that other people talk about, but it is true. And then you got to learn the independence about it after that. And then you, you don't have to worry about that type of noise. You're only worried about yourself. You're focusing on yourself. You're not focusing on this person or that person. That's what I learned about a year into the league. And that was extremely valuable. I wouldn't trade that in for the world. Uh, so th- those were lessons that I'll, I'll, I'll take on, I'll take with me forever. Speaking here with Sean Hickey, a Syracuse offensive lineman alum and, and also an alum of the NFL as well. And, and Sean, for you, like you said, you know, getting interview requests all the time. You're at Syracuse. People want to talk to you. The media's around you. The draft's coming up. They're hoping big things for you, you know, and, and, and talking to you after and, and what team you're going to be on and where you're going to catch on and stories that are written. When that started to get quieter and less people – called you and maybe less people pay paid attention or got in touch with you, you know, at this point in your life and whatnot. I know that you said it taught you independence, but what did that do for you mentally to, you know, see all this love and then it gets quiet because people talk about that all the time. They're like, you know, when, when you're up on the mountain, everybody wants to, you know, praise you and look up at you and cheer for you. But when you start to come down the mountain and you and you say, where are all these people who's going to help me get home and there's nobody there or there's a couple people there? What did you learn from all that? Well, you have your close friends like my, my teammates from Syracuse. Oh, God, they were always so supportive. Coach Hicks, we still talk on a consistent basis. He's like my second father. Like there's people that are always going to be in your corner. Uh, it was kind of it was tough for a little bit because you can't allow that to think that you're playing poorly, because a couple of the business things that go along with the NFL, the numbers game, the situation of how many linemen they're going to keep. Like when I was with the Saints, the the, the first week they only kept eight linemen. I knew a lot of other teams that like the Vikings, the Dolphins, they kept ten. So if I would have picked it, and I had a real, and they picked. My when I didn't make the 53 right off the bat, they picked between me and Mike McGlynn, who is an eight-year vet who started and Jari Evans was getting old. I understood why they took Mike over me, but we because he had experience. But we both played very like similar during camp, and that's why I got I caught on the practice squad. But then there was years later where I had draft picks that were rookies. I had a better camp than they did their rookie year, but then they catch on because there's a draft pick invested in them. And there are also 10 linemen, that, 9 to 10 linemen that they keep. So there's like things like that that you can't control. But when, they, when the headline writes up, oh, he got cut and signed a practice squad, you kind of get pushed down a little bit. And the, if the news isn't as worthy, which I understand fully, just you can't allow that to think. You can't let that get in your head to think you're playing bad football. Because some people mentally really get down on themselves. And I didn't necessarily allow that to happen. The media part, when that went away, it didn't necessarily really bother me. There was like, there's some, most people in my personal life didn't really uh, distance themselves too much. Some did, but it wasn't, but like, it didn't necessarily bother me that much. It was more so you can't allow that to make you think you're not a good football player anymore when you're actually going out there on the practice field and playing well or in preseason games and playing well. That was a very, just as long as you don't let that happen to you, then you can keep your mindset better now if you let that think oh i'm not good anymore because no one's talking to me then that can really uh derail careers i've seen it happen time and time again in nfl locker rooms it, it it's a brutal business i know a lot of good players that didn't 
that fell out after a year or two. And I knew some players that should have been out after a year or two make it longer. And it's kind of a crapshoot uh, when you start getting at the bottom of the roster. So it, it, uh, it it's an interesting uh, thing to watch and become accustomed to. Speaking here with Sean Hickey, Syracuse and NFL offensive line alum. Sean, for, for you to go through this and to learn – you know, this level of independence. We live in a society where there's a lot of look at me, look at me, you know, with social media and whatnot and clicks and, and all this all this BS. You know, I, I, I've said it a million times. I use social media because I own a business. If I, if I didn't, you know, own my business and wasn't in the entertainment industry, I'd be a hermit. You know, I so said people could go on my Facebook all the time and outside of a, a picture of me being in Florida with the lady or hanging out with my mom or, you know, a picture of my dog here and there. I don't talk about my personal life, but there's the flip side of that coin. And that's the people that constantly need reassurance. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me that I'm awesome. Tell me that I'm good at what I do. Tell me that I'm a great football player. Buy my jersey. Do this, do that. And they get sucked up into that life. For you to be where you're at is commendable after all the adversity that you've been through, you know, to, to be standing upright and to be confident in yourself and, and to really, you know, give us a, a compelling conversation that I'm so happy we get to have here this morning. But, you know, there is that other side to it. And so just what you can say about being mentally tough on the field, but also off the field, especially in a society that we live in today where people do need constant reassurance. Yeah, that is a big that is a big issue that's going on right now. For me personally, when I was going through like the moving around uncertainty of the career, not being exactly where I wanted to be, I kept that internal and I dealt with it on my own. And I never like if you go, I, I haven't sent a tweet out. I don't think in two years, and I don't I don't tweet ever. Now when I was in college, I tweeted. It was more of like. Because I got one in, right before the 2012 season because of a class I had in the summer. And then, like, you kind of got up with your friends and tweeting back and forth each other, and everybody was doing it. Then, for me, it died down. I, there was no reason. I'm not really a person that is going to overly broadcast my social life or my personal life. And I don't need, I, like, as long as you're at peace with yourself, is what this independence has taught me. If, if you're confident, if you're truly confident in yourself as a person, as a player, as a, just as an individual, you don't necessarily need to be putting all that stuff out on social media. And that never appealed to me, but I knew a lot of teammates that did. And I know some of it's about money because they're trying to build their brand, which is, which is in the locker room, which I mean, I, I guess from a financial aspect, I get, but some of it goes way, way, way too far. And they're interjecting themselves and, issues that were not necessarily issues but sometimes it gets it gets a little distracting in terms of like the brand that you're trying to build and then the team's like wait why did you tweet that why did you do this why did you do that we don't need any distractions and it, it, it does become a little bit of its own monster so i always stayed out of it if i just thought it was better just to stay out of that in general, I know some people say, well, it's not the best business strategy, which I kind of understand. But in my situation, I, there was no, I was a, I was a offensive lineman trying to make in the NFL. That was my job. And it, there was no brand to build unless you already solidified a career. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't have used social media very much. So that's just the type of person I am. 
And and for you to like you said, you 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 figured it out. You worked on it on your own and tried to find your way and and, and tried to you know figure out what was going to be best for you. Do you do you lean on family members? Do you have a support system? Do you have a faith? You know, do you do you believe in God? You know, what what's what were the other things that kind of you know helped you? Because I I mean I could speak about my life and say I have a strong belief in God. I have a strong faith. I I have a close knit group of people who I trust. If I have a question that you know that I'd like to get an answer on and can some some constructive criticism. What do you have to kind of help you navigate through the stuff you've been through? Well, I do have a strong faith in God, and I do believe, and like that is always like a backbone to that uh, to going through issues and times that through of adversity help. But whenever I was going through that before the draft, I had this big support system, people that I probably shouldn't like. I had the best intentions. I remember, like, before the draft in college, I was like, I'm going to do things the right way. I'm not going to screw this up. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to do things the right way. But whenever there's so many people coming from so many different areas and, like, you have to, like, give your family uh, time that they want, then you need to give your friends time that they want, then you need to give other people the time they want. You're trying to please everyone. The only thing I kind of wish that we went back on is I, would, I wish – pre-draft that would have been way more selfish and when i was with the saints i wish that would have been a little more selfish and kind of tell the the support system actually stop let me just do this on my own because that's how i know how to get through adversity best on my own in my in my belief system now i do have because not everybody in my support system necessarily before the draft was right about what their opinions. And I real looking back on that now, they weren't necessarily they had good intentions, but they didn't really know much about the situation. So I, the best person for me to trust in that regard was myself. Coach Hicks was another very good advisor that I had former coaches. Like I would call Pat Perlis. I talked to Greg Atkins, like a lot of those, a lot of people that in the industry that cared about me, we're good advisors and we're good a support system. I mean, I love my family and I love and I, and I love my my social group and all that, but they didn't know necessarily a lot about that process. So whenever the after the draft happened and I kind of realized that and I kind of wished I would have been a little bit more in the kind of squashed out some of the outside noise, I learn to deal with it on my own because it got easier. It got a little easier just talking to a few former coaches, getting their opinion, say, thanks mom, dad, uh, like my brothers and sisters and family members. I said, thanks for the support. I appreciate it. But like, I'm going to kind of do this my own way right now because I tried the other way and it necessarily didn't help me out a lot. So it's nothing on them. It's just knowing the industry is so important. And when you, are in this position where you don't have much of a career, like a time frame for a career and you can't screw up. You kind of just want to keep that circle small and a people of knowledge. Now you lean on people with you're physically or mentally in trouble, but I felt I was pretty on par for the most part with my state of mind and I could navigate it with a few advisors so that was kind of like how I went through it after my rookie year. So, you know, now you now you go here and you can be an advisor in a way to to what's going on with with Syracuse as a former offensive lineman. 
on the team. You know, Syracuse is tied for the most penalized team in the nation. And so of 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 everyone that plays Division I FBS college football, Syracuse is tied for number one with Cincinnati with 9.33 penalties per game. Through nine games, they have 84 penalties in total. Uh, what's your take on that? You know, how much of that is because a lot of that obviously comes from like false starts and, 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 you know, issues there and, you know, and, and holding and whatnot. So when you look at all these penalties that have happened, what can you say about that? Is, is that, is that a player issue? Is that a coach issue? Is that a teaching issue? Is it, you know, where does that fall on? Because self-inflicted wounds are the worst, worst ones and Syracuse is tied for first in the nation in self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, so it happened to us at Syracuse as well with some uh, dumb penalties that you couldn't really come out in the media and say why they were happening, and you couldn't, and this actually happened with us in uh, Miami in 2017. We were one of the highest penalized teams in the nation, in the in the NFL. It kind of becomes a snowball effect where once it happens and it happens again and it happens again, it, it, it kind of takes on its own beast in a way, and like, we would have coaches run you after practice for how many penalties you had, or you would have like different types of ways of handling it, handling it through practice. But it really comes, there's a couple things. Now, false starts, a little interesting thing that people don't really know. Like I remember when I was my last two years, I think it was my last year, actually 2014, we had a written, written, we had a, a sound, a snap count that, was very shaky and it would be like it'd be like a second sound like down and then a long pause and then we said hi so whenever you hear down you're waiting for a while for that next that next noise that next like like said hi but sometimes a defender might mimic it someone else might make a sudden noise and then someone moves because they're waiting they would be waiting for terrell or whoever to throw hunt to, or to snap to give the cadence so whenever you wait something like that, that's something people don't think about. Depending how the snap count is actually built in, sometimes people jump that way, and that's why in the in the NFL, it's a lot of it, it's a non-rhythmic snap count. So that you try to eliminate that, and eventually, when we identified that in 2014, we changed it. It actually helped. Uh, there's a couple. There's in practice. I feel like just a couple guys. They get antsy in the game, and they're trying to make a play. They're trying to get someone out of bounds, and they can't really control their their instincts that well. And they might hit someone out. They might hit someone on the sideline that pushes out. That's a 15 yard personal foul. The holdings are a technique issue. Uh, if you're an offensive line and you're hold, and you're getting beat on the edge, or you give up the inside move, and you're trying not to get the quarterback killed, but you grab on, that's more with your eyes and your technique. If you're looking at the defender's head and he shakes you and you're not looking at the inside part of his inside number on his chest and, and you're not staying with him or if he's just pure, pure faster than you, then that's that's more of a technique issue. So it's all different types of things, whether it be something that the system has built in. I'm not sure the exact snap counts that Syracuse uses now, so I can't attest to that. But a lot of times it's just kids trying to really – do their job a little too much and they're not thinking with their head and sometimes it's technique it's a lot it's a it's a beast and it kind of turns into a it's like a snowball effect uh, from what i noticed when i was playing you have guys uh, speaking here with sean hickey offensive line alum at syracuse as well as the nfl 
you you have uh, Ryan Alexander, who was a part of the team, transferred in first season, playing out there with the team on the field for Syracuse, coming from South Alabama, and so you got a newbie there. You got a newbie with Carlos Vetterello, who's a redshirt freshman, playing his first collegiate downs this year on the other side. Then you have guys like Aaron Service, who's played tackle and he's played center and he's getting moved in different places with Sam Heckel being out. You have Pat Davis and Dakota Davis trying to find their footing at a guard position. And you got Evan Adams, who's used to be in the right guard, gets shifted to left guard. What from the games that you watch or from what you've seen, what are you seeing from this year's team? Because, you know, Evan Adams is grandpa on the line. Aaron Service has had experience. Dakota Davis and Patrick Davis, you know, less experience. And then Vetterello and Alexander had no experience being out on the field wearing orange and blue until this season with the team. Just what you've been taking away from what you've seen. Offensive line is really about a gelling unit, a unit that's close. Now, obviously, I don't know. I, I'm not in those meeting rooms. I don't know necessarily all the techniques that they're being taught. So I don't want to get too much into that because you have to do what you're taught. So if you're doing something you're taught and it might not be your strong suit, for example, I was a very good lateral setter in college. And then when Pat Perlis came in 2013, he wanted more vertical passing, but he kind of let me do the lateral stuff because under Atkins, I was – that's what I was really good at. And then the NFL, I got a little better at vertical. But there's a lot of things like that where if you're all trying to learn one system, some player might not be a great uh, lateral setter, might not be a great vertical setter, but you have to do it anyway. And trying to identify every player's weaknesses and strengths. And with them and with the pass rush that, that was kind of getting on them a few weeks ago, once a couple sacks happen and you get down and you're throwing the ball and you have to you have to hold off for four set three four seconds it gets hard and what was great for me was in 2012 when I first started my first year at redshirt that I blew my ACL my second year ACL my second year in the third year you had Zach Chavane you had Mackey and then you had Pew on the sideline in the first four games like and you had a real strong successful support system around you to help you through that. And for me, I, it caught on really quick, like two games in, they're like, Oh yeah, you'll be starting when Pew comes back and you probably have a future. And it, and it in 2012, it, that was very comforting to have, but if necessarily, if you don't have all that experience and you're trying to like, that was a very good veteran experience for me to have, which then transmit, which gave me experience my second in my 2013, 2014 to pass on. And 2013, we had a really good line. 2014, we struggled a little bit with our off, but that was a lot of system offensive uh, changes during the middle of the year type thing. Uh, for them right now, for them, it, it, it does get hard when you don't have, when like they lost a lot of uh, experience last year. And it, it is a transition, and especially, and especially in, a tough, in a tough conference where you're getting a lot of great pass rushers. Like the ACC always pumps out pass rushers, they always pump out athletic athletic defensive linemen. So it, it can it can become difficult. Now next year they may very well be more experienced. They very they especially in pass protection. Pass protection is tough. A lot of high schools don't throw the ball that much anymore. It's hard to find a quarterback that can make those throws in high school. So a lot, when I got to college, a lot of kids were just good run blockers. They didn't know how to pass block. I was lucky enough to come from a 50-50 system, run pass in high school. We kind of we had five-step drops. We, we threw the ball around, and that helped me out 
But a lot of kids don't have that when they're coming into college because they didn't have a quarterback at their high school so that could throw. So the, the, all those factors kind of play in, and pass blocking is a very tough, very particular science where if one person screws up, the whole line screws up. And in the run game, even if if the front side's doing great, but the backside guard and center mess up their block, the cutback lane's not there, and there's a, a loss for two. So it, it, it just when one person messes up, the whole unit messes up, and that's a very big thing with offensive line. It's a very frustrating thing because you might only have two bad plays a game, but on those two plays, everybody else did their job, and it's a game. It's a it's a gain of one, or it's a or it's a hit on the quarterback. And then you might, and then all the plays you do well on, someone else screws up. So that it, it's very hard to get all five, especially when there's not a lot of experience, or if there's a lot of new, there's a lot of players that don't have a lot of experience to be able to gel like that. And it's it, it's a it, it's tough. And I feel I feel for them because I've been in lines where, especially my fifth year, where things weren't going right. And we had a lot of musical chairs in the O-line going around. I think I was the only one to make it through the year without an injury, with a serious injury. And you're, you're rotating guards that never played before. You're rotating tackles and centers. It, it gets tough. So I, I feel for them, and I hope they use this as a learning experience to finish out the year strong and going into next season. Yeah, you know, and, and, and going off of that and all the different things that you brought up, and if one guy's doing it right and – another guy, you know, struggles and if this is working, but it's not working for if everybody's good at a certain technique, but you're doing a different one. And then one guy's going to be off of it, but he's got to figure it out. You know, you bring up all these great points, which, you know, which may have led to where Syracuse is sitting right now. Like I said, tied for the most penalized team in the country and out of, out of 130 division one FBS schools, they're tied for the worst when it comes to, uh, you know, penalties per game with, a little over nine penalties a game. They are the worst team in the country. They are number 130 of 130 in sacks allowed. They have given up 45 sacks in nine games for a loss of 267 yards. They average they average giving up five sacks per game. So, you know, people give a lot of, a lot of negativity to Tommy DeVito as the quarterback, but when you are the team that – when you're the offensive line that gives up more sacks than anybody else in the nation – you know that's something to talk about. So, what what's your take on in that respect of Syracuse being a team that cannot protect their quarterback, has not protected their quarterback, and forty five sacks in nine games, two hundred sixty seven lost yards, and five sacks allowed per game, being the most in the nation at this point. It's tough. It's a it becomes a tough law, a tough tough meeting room to be in to be going over the same probably technique errors over and over and over again. Uh, it's it's not pretty. It's not fun, and which means the offensive line is, is struggling in pass protection. Yes, there are different aspects of the offense that do lead to sacks as well. So I just want to point that out. Uh, if receivers aren't getting open, it's four or five second uh, protection, probably getting a sack. If he's not getting rid of the ball, a lot of times I, I I'm not testing this to Syracuse in. in like I don't, I'm not in those meeting rooms to hear who has who and the assignments. But running backs also uh, play a part in, in pass protection. If they don't pick up the right guy, and the O line thinks they're they're working to to a one linebacker, but then the running back thinks they're all he's also working to that linebacker. Another linebacker comes free, 
then that, that's also creates an issue. So it is, it is hard, especially that sacks are mentally defeating. It's mentally defeating as a group when, let's say, you're, you won your block and you're like, oh, yeah, I won it. I'm one-on-one, third down, I'm left tackle, I, I stopped my high-end pass rusher. But then you turn around there's another sack and you're just like, then someone else got the sack. And you're like, ugh. Yeah. And like, it, it is mentally draining. And then when you get behind the chains and you get down, it, it's like, again, it's a snowball effect. Those DNs are pinning their ears back. They know they're just outright rushing. There is no threat of a run game. And then as a pass blocker, you really have to be on point. You have to look at all, all of his uh, tails he's giving, whether his inside foot's back, how much weight, how far is he from you, what's the down and distance, can I attack him and mess up his rush where he has to go around me way farther. But if I risk that, if I do that, I risk getting beat inside. There's a lot of different things that have to go through your mind when you're down the, behind the chains and it's third and 12 and you're down 14 points in the third quarter like that that gets hard and then they just pin their ears back and they're allowed to do what they do they're the most athletically they're the most athletic i would say specimens on the team because they're big they're strong they're fast they're thick and it, it gets hard so it's very if, if you're especially if you're new if you're inexperienced and you didn't come from a great pass rushing, I mean, uh, pass blocking background, it gets tough. And we were fortunate. My first two years, we kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, 2010, I believe the team, uh, we were a de- pretty decent O-line, but not nothing amazing. Same in 2011, but it was a little better. And in 2012, everything clicked. Like they always said, we want to be the best O-line in the Big East. The great Coach Atkins always said it. By the end of 2012, we only gave up 13 sacks all year. Only nine were on the offensive line. So, like, that was a great feat, and it took a couple years. And then 2013, we were pretty good, and that kind of rolled over in the next year. And then the following year, we struggled a little bit. But it, it, I've been on both ends of the spectrum where you're, the line as a group is doing really well and the line is struggling. And it, it, it's tough to mentally bring yourself out of that in that meeting room going over the same mistakes that one person's making or the group's making over and over and over again. And that's why some changes have happened, like, like Coach Babers has talked about making some lineup changes and, and things like that, because it does become frustrating. It does. And, it, and, it, and it, it's not fun on anybody. No, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing about it is, you know, I said that this line that they have right now, you know, in my opinion, took, you know, the last four or five years to build, you know, coming out of coming out of Schaefer and into Dino Babers, I, I feel like the line that Syracuse got last year with a 10-3 and record was a line that took a really long time to build. Is that fair to, to say in your opinion? I mean, I'm sure that, that everything's relative, you know, different lines take different time periods and whatnot, but it, there, there's, a, there's a sense of, you know, a few years back with, with Tim Dowst as the D-line coach, he, you know, he had a lot of success. He had guys you could use in rotation. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the defensive line had to rebuild and it's taken time and really not until now of recent, you know, so basically like after Jay Bromley was gone after that moment, they've been rebuilding and now they have Elton Robinson and they have Kendall Coleman and they have a lot to write in Josh Black and they have a lot to write home about. But that took time, and the offensive line, it's like they had you. They had Justin Pugh. They had Mackie McPherson. They had Zach Shabane. They, you know, there, there was guys on this line that brought a lot 
of positives to it. You know, there was three straight years of a thousand yard back at Syracuse. Syracuse hasn't had one since the last time that it happened, which was with Jerome Smith. And so, you know, they take a long time to build. And I really honestly feel like last year's line took, took, you know, years to build, you know, four or five years to build. Is that, is that adequate to say, does that make sense, you know, to you that, that when it comes to lines, because they're really, you know, you're at the heart of everything, the trenches, are, are the most meaningful. George O'Leary, who used to be an assistant at Syracuse and then coached at UCF, said to me, if you don't build your team from the inside out, you're doomed to fail. If you don't get that in the trenches is how you win championships and you shouldn't be a coach. So, you know, in that respect, which I agree with, it, it just seems like Syracuse has had those really productive defensive lines and then all that period of rebuilding. And then with you, there was all that production there on the offensive line, and then it had to rebuild into last year, and now I feel like they're doing it again. Yeah, so I feel when you have people on the line that really know how to do their job well and they know their technique, and they see, and you see their day-to-day operation of how they keep up with that technique, whether you go and you lift weights and you're doing all your running, then you stop, and then you uh, do extra offensive line stuff. You see how good technique is formed. You see how the brain is formed in terms of reading defenses and reading a, someone's pass rush to get that instinctual feel about when someone bolts inside, then you got to – and you got to keep your eyes right, and you got to shoot that right that inside hand to stop the inside rush. Or you have to be able to understand where these guys are going, where they're coming from. And te- from a technique perspective, I got to watch Pete Justin Pugh because my rookie year, I mean my freshman year, he was he, he was just starting out. I remember Coach Burns saying he has the best hips I've ever coached, NFL or college. And I would watch his pass set, and it was so pretty, so I mimicked it. So I tried mimicking it, and it worked for me. And and then uh, Zach came into his own, and guards got to mimic Zach, and they got to see. And you got when you see someone doing it right, and and you're in that room with them, and you can mimic them. It's, it kind of has a downstream effect if you have the talent in the if you have base talent in the room, and that's what we had, and we built it, and then I learned it, and then I caught mine caught on once I started starting it caught on pretty quick then i was able to pass it on down to a couple other people and maintain it for a little bit but then kind of that whole group are the influence kind of waned and then it had to restart again and it took a while to kind of restart that learning process for the rest of the guys and it up until last year so that that is a it is a when we had all that boom of knowledge and and of technique and like all of that like talent it, it lasted a few years and like the influence of that group lasted a few years, then it kind of, as time goes on, it wanes. And if no one else picks it back up right away, let's say after the 20, uh, after me, Rob Trudeau, Mackie, after we were all gone, if they didn't necessarily pick up right away, then it takes time to build back up. And they built it up to last year where they were doing extremely well. And then it, you have to either be able to carry it on. And if you don't carry it on, you have to rebuild it. And that's kind of seems like where they're at right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I couldn't the say culture, the room, the technique, culture, the just how you operate as an offensive line in terms of are you and your guard extremely close? Do you know exactly what how he's if, if I know how Shabane or if I how knew how Rob was going to set, then I dictated how I was going to set and how we we're going to pass off this game, or if he, if I have inside help, then I can be a little aggressive and 
not I can be a little aggressive on the D end and not worry about getting beat inside because the guard's going to be there and I can uh, protect the outside a little bit more. So it's it's all those things and how much you gel and how much you guys feed off of each other and also about the knowledge that you acquire and that's what we had and it lasted a few years and now it's kind of it, it needs to be rebuilt again it seems but they they have time up going the next year i feel like they have a base good group uh that will benefit from this experience like for next year what's you- this year and what would be your words of advice for Evan Adams? I mean, I, I call I call him grandpa on the line because he's the one that's, you know, been there the longest. And, you know, this has got to be frustrating for him to not have a, a ton of film that he can put out from this year and, you know, different, you know, different pieces. I mean, looking at the fact of, like we said, you know, mo, you know, tied for the most penalized team, team that allows the most sacks and not a lot of great film out there you know, for them, but great film for the defensive lines on the other side that are trying to make the NFL. What would be your words of advice for, for Evan Adams, who's played guard on this team for such a long time and is a successful guy and has done good things and was a part of that successful team last year? What's your words of advice for him as he gets set to, you know, obviously try for the NFL if that's what he intends to do, knowing that, you know, there, there's not a lot to show this season, which isn't necessarily his fault. Yeah, I, I feel for him. I, I, I do tremendously. Uh, I kind of was in the same situation in 2014 when we were struggling and we went 3-9. and nine. And going into that year, looking from the 2013 season, I felt we were going to be pretty good. Uh, we didn't lose too many people. We lost Jerome. We lost Mackey. And, but we, we had the base together. Then our offensive philosophy, which was – was changed going into the following year and it didn't really catch on and we struggled and then we had to make a coaching change midway through the year on offense which is never good and when it's and i was in there trying to give my best film possible for the nfl and you i would my advice to him would be go out there still be a leader bring your teammates along with you but make sure you're winning your one-on-one battles make sure that your technique's on point and just do everything that you can control uh, to win your block, to win your job, but also be a leader on that team and on that offensive line. It's a tough situation. Whenever you're only getting two yards of rush and you blow your guy off the ball, but someone, but a, a defender comes from somewhere else and stops it behind the line, or you guys are running plays, like if you're running plays that aren't necessarily being effective or, or things of that nature like happened to us in 2014, it was extremely frustrating. I remember getting in this rut where I was saying kind of the same things to the media every week about what we have to improve on and it never improved and the, we had a quarterback carousel going on that year I think we had four starting quarterbacks after Terrell got hurt and it, it, we had a tremendous amount of people in there and, and turnover and it's hard and we struggled on offense our defense was great that year Actually, people probably don't remember because it wasn't noteworthy, but they were very good. And if our offense, we I think we forced five turnovers on Notre Dame and at MetLife, and we lost like twelve to three or twelve to six or something. I can't really remember, but it's frustrating. So I would say to him, get just keep your technique, keep your play at a at a high level, keep working on your one-on-one blocks, winning, win those matchups and bring and do your best to bring everybody else along with you and just get your job done because your job, getting your job done for one helps you, but on more importantly helps the team out. So that's what I would 
I would give to him and put just go out there every week with that mentality. That coming from Sean Hickey here this morning. Sean, before I let you go, uh, two final pieces here. You had Doug Marone as a head coach that eventually went into Scott Schaefer being the head coach of the team. You know, Doug is is someone who has been in the NFL. He's back in the NFL. You reconnected it with him in Jacksonville and had an opportunity, you know, your last opportunity there before the XFL and all that stuff came up. You know, you had that there. So just what can you say about where Dino's at right now? I mean, are is Syracuse missing something from Doug Marone to, to Dino? Because, I mean, Doug knows what it takes to be in the NFL. He knows what the NFL is looking for. And my confusion is that there's been plenty of talented people that have come through Syracuse, but nobody's getting drafted anymore. And if they're getting drafted, they're getting drafted late. There's a stigma. When Doug Marone was there, you guys were getting drafted. You guys were getting opportunities. You know, you you were, you know, still having that connection despite injury and different things that happen. It seems like it's really hard for guys to catch on coming out of the Dino Babers era. So what can you say about that? And, you know, maybe if you can lend some insight to that at all. Well, this is no, I mean, Coach Babers' job, number one, is to win. So whatever he has to do to bring this program up and to make a winning culture, that is his job. His job, like now in recruiting and all that stuff, getting to the NFL is a is a part of recruiting and, and how often do you put people out is a part of it. But his job, number one, is to win. So if he has an offensive, uh, an offensive philosophy or system that he believes is going to win games, then he should do it. Like then, so I don't, I don't give him any fault there. However, Coach Marone was an NFL guy. He would half the meeting that Coach Marone would talk. He'd be mentioning the NFL, referring to the NFL back when he was in the NFL. All this stuff, he would always say the same type of stuff, and you kind of knew his heart was in the NFL. He wanted to come back to Syracuse, and he gave him an opportunity, and he loved the school, and he missed it. But his, he was truly an NFL guy, and he ran his offense, relatively speaking, as an NFL. As an NFL offense. Now in the 2012 year, we started going no huddle. We did more run pass play, uh, run pass option. Uh, but it was still pretty NFL theme based, especially with the, the way we were throwing the ball and things along things along that nature. And he just had a lot of connections to the NFL. And the defense was a at the time was a, was. I wouldn't say a full-out NFL defense, but it was pretty similar to a lot of them. And so there's a lot of familiarity with the systems. Like when I went to, when I got in the NFL, a lot of the lingo that we used was exact lingo that the NFL uses, a lot of the blocking schemes, things of that nature. So just with him, and then when we got in the Coach Schaefer era and when Coach McDonald came uh, along for the offense, the 2013 was kind of, uh, we kind of kept a little bit of an NFL uh aspect to our offense i wouldn't call us a pro style offense but we we kept an aspect to it but 2014 he said goodbye to that and we were total college spread uh option reading things along that nature to run extremely it was i would call it extremely called extremely spread extremely system oriented and we i didn't think we necessarily we had the players to to do that i felt we were built more alongside of a kind of an nfl style offense and if you don't have the players for that which was the case of 2014 i think they do have the players for that right now the skill positions things along that nature but there's more to it than that but in the nfl aspect doug Marone was an nfl guy he ran it like an nfl ship 
Uh, he kind of loosened up a little bit his third year. I mean, his fourth year, or 2012 year, with kind of like the day-to-day operations and kind of the, the way we were running, doing the no huddle. Uh, that helped us in the college world. But he it also transitioned the NFL very well. And it, that was just who he was. So I don't. I'm not in the. I'm not in the Syracuse uh, meetings right now. I'm not able to attest to what their philosophies are. But Coach Marone's philosophy was a very NFL-oriented philosophy. That coming here this morning from Sean Hickey here with us on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. As Sean, final piece here is the pay for play. The NCAA had their had their hand pushed by California. California passed legislation that's supposed to take place in January of I believe twenty twenty one, making making the case that there should be a compensation for name, image, and likeness for student athletes in college, as well as the opportunity for them to potentially hire agents. Once that was passed, Kentucky, Colorado, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, a bunch of states started to get involved in trying to look at their own legislation. Amidst all of this, the NCAA surprised me, at least, that they not only responded as swiftly as they did, but that they agreed. But I also have said the notion over and over again, that if you want to get something done in this country, have California or New York pass legislation on it, and typically you'll see some movement on it in some way, shape, or form. So now there is this pay-for-play opportunity. Name, image, and likeness is there. There's still got to work out the kinks to it, but the NCAA has agreed that student-athletes can make money playing college sports. What are your thoughts on it as a former college student-athlete? My... The whole while I was leaving college, the whole Northwestern Union thing was going on, and that never really came to fruition. But that kind of, as far as I can remember, this was always kind of an issue: should players get paid or not? But the, the likeness issue, I really believe I may be wrong. You, you, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I really do believe it started with Johnny Manziel when he was on the cover of the NCAA football game, and they were making so much money off of him. That I believe he got in trouble for signing autographs for like a hundred bucks or something. Or I can't necessarily remember. And that really kind of started the likeness issue because we got a settlement a couple years ago for how many games were you in? I think it got about like $2,000 or something like that, like post-football, and it, for the guys that used to be in the video games. And then we had the class action lawsuit where the year after I left, you were, the players now are getting a stipend. And when we were in college, we never got that. And if you didn't, uh, uh, if you if your family had a background where you didn't uh, qualify for the grant and aid, you didn't really you didn't get any money. Some schools, if you live on off campus housing, you get checks for off campus housing. You live with three teammates. You keep the rent. You you keep the the remainder uh, that's not used on rent. But Syracuse, we lived on on campus apartments and on campus housing, so we didn't get that money. So I know how it is to. But I actually got a job for a little bit as a bouncer for a half a first semester, and you don't, you're not making much money. And I had a coach one time say, "You guys should be making minimum wage for the hours that you're mandatory to be here, because that can at least keep you relatively afloat financially while you're in college because you can't work. Yeah. And I know you're not paying for school, but to have something in your pocket whenever you only have, if you only get two meals." a day or one meal a day you're only able to get on campus one meal a day to eat and you have practice you have all this stuff or if you're in the spring semester and you want to get something from 
like from the varsity or something and you don't have, you only have 20 bucks to your name, it gets kind of, it gets kind of hard, but the likeness issue, if you are bringing millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into the school, into the NCAA and you're, they're making brand off your likeness. I understand the players one that gets some of that money. Now it does get a little dicey on the alumni coming in and saying, we can get you if you're to a recruit, like that part is going to be a little tough. I don't know necessarily how they're going to navigate that. That's my little issue about this is, is can Alabama and, and Clemson and all these powerhouses with their strong alumni base kind of build up this infrastructure where they can get they can even get offensive linemen speaking gigs or anything in like while they're in school or like a a dealership puts a running back like a running back or receiver who isn't nationally known on their on their dealership and he's making money i'm not sure how all that's going to work right so like and if you have a mega star on the team you can't necessarily allow him walking around with a million like a million dollars in his pocket in school while the rest of the team is only making like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and someone has a million even though he's bringing in the revenue i think he might should be able to have a little bit more than the rest of the team because it is him, but it might need to be dispersed just for the effort, just for the, not necessarily because I do believe like a, like a, a system where if you bring in money, then you should get paid more like that. I, I do believe in that, but in college, it's a little different with recruiting and you don't want these five or six schools basically dominating with massive alumni bases and like the infrastructure to basically get you money for endorsement deals or whatnot. So I don't know how that's going to work. That's going to be the tricky part that they're going to have to deal with. Like if you California passed it, so they weren't going to let USC with that alumni base just bring in all the recruits, and then all the best recruits are now going to Alabama, are now going to go back to USC because of the financial incentive. Right. So it get that part gets tough because you don't want to ruin college football's competitive feel. You don't want this. I mean, you kind of see Clemson, Georgia. Ohio State, Alabama, in the top five every year right now, it seems like. But there is some interchange. Of, their teams do jump in and out of it. You just don't want to see the five same ones every single year. So that's like the tough waters that you gotta you, that you have to navigate. Because it'd be tough for places like Pitt, like Syracuse, like Maryland, to be able to – Maryland maybe because of Under Armour, but they get to compete. It's hard for them to repeat, compete with recruits if – like, oh, you'll be a starter offensive lineman here at Clemson, and you'll end up with like eight to ten grand per semester based off of a local car shield, uh, car dealership, or uh, putting your poster up around campus or selling memorabilia. Like, so I don't know how that's all going to work. So they need to figure out a way to make that work and get the players some money so they can, so they can, I mean, spend a little bit while they're there. But at the same time, that you can't let it go overboard. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, you know, and, and bringing up the Johnny Manziel thing uh, that he allegedly received a, a five-figure payment for signing autographs, uh, signing photos, many helmets, and other other memorabilia while he was at school there. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at the fact that Texas A&M could sell his number two jersey. EA Sports could, like you said, could include him as a quarterback with the same height, attributes, and number. In their video game, ESPN and CBS can put him on pro- promotional material. Yet he couldn't make any money himself. So it does it does show hypocrisy. 
in it and, you know, name, image, and likeness. Obviously, for for some guys, you know, if you never play in the NFL, you never play in the NBA, never play, you know, here, there, and everywhere, you know, then maybe college is the only place that you can, you know, make that money. And if if the school is going to make a hundred thousand off of you, and NCAA is going to make two hundred thousand off of you, and and and, you know, and and, and all these local companies, you know, local small businesses are going to sell your stuff, they're going to make money off of you. And at the end of your career, there's a million dollars that somebody made off of you, or ten million, or twenty million, and you didn't make a penny. You know, where where is the fairness in that, and where does it make any sense, and does that model work anywhere else in the professional realm in our country? So you know, it, it is a corrupt situation and it is a model that makes no sense at the same time they have to tread very lightly because as i've talked about on the show before there's a lot of issues that can arise from opening this door yes so you're 100 right about some guys aren't going to make it to the nfl and they're good college players and they in extremely extremely effective in college they they're breaking records and they're bringing in so much money and they're not going to see a dime of it. But one issue I always kind of had a little bit was they say, Oh, you could come to college and change your life and get a degree. But I know a lot of people that they brought in, they get brought in, they, they kind of get stuck in like an easy major to keep them eligible. Right. And they don't get a, a phenomenal job after they're gone. And they were kind of misled as an 18, 17 year old kid. And whenever they leave at 22 and they made a bunch of money for the team and for the NCAA and they leave and they realize they didn't make that. They're not in debt, but they're not, they're not in debt, but they don't have any money either. And depending on the degree that they had, if they took whatever it took to keep them eligible, I was lucky enough to graduate from the, the women's school of management, but a lot of kids didn't have that luxury and they are the, they kind of struggle and they kind of wish they had a little nice nest egg or a couple thousand dollars coming out of college, like to, to get their life started. So it is a, that is a hundred percent right. And at the same time, you don't want necessarily five schools within a massive alumni base and you shopping your school, not only based on the team or based off of the, uh, the academics of the school, but also saying, all right, what, what, school can give me uh when i'm done fifty thousand dollars instead of thirty thousand dollars in profit or whatever the case may be so it is a very tread lightly it is it is right and it's just in thinking but you have the way college is with all the teams all the conferences it it's got to be very methodically regulated and planned out because you don't want you don't want five teams dominating or you don't want get to get a recruit because another team is basically saying you'll be able to make 20, 30 more in cash here than there. So then it's going to get a little dicey. So that's kind of my opinion. That's my opinion on it. Everybody has their own. That's just from what I've seen. Some guys that, that experiences and like how I felt in college and then how my view has evolved since college. So that's, that's, that's my point of view. That coming from Sean Hickey and, and a great point of view and bringing up a lot of great pieces and great elements of this coming up. Sean, I can't thank you enough for 
sharing, you know, your story here this morning, sharing, you know, not only what you've been through, but your thoughts about, you know, what's going on at Syracuse from your perspective and things that you've learned and just the mechanics of it all and just the overall knowledge and wisdom that you have. And then to impart your thoughts on the changing climate of the NCAA and student athletes and making money and whatnot. I mean, I, I, I look forward to having you back on the show very soon. I look forward to keeping in touch. I remember the day that I was sitting in my apartment and in uh, congratulating you on getting an opportunity in the NFL. I remember when you went off to the Saints and sitting here with you this morning has, has really meant a great deal to me. So I look, for, look forward to the opportunity of keeping in touch with you. Yeah, I really do too. I'm very uh, big. Thanks for having me on. Uh, enjoy catching up and uh, I'm always going to be bleeding orange. It's, Going up to Syracuse is one of the, my, my favorite times of the year when I get to make the trip up, and I'll always be an Orangeman, and I, I love it, and it was one of the best years. It was the best experience of my life. I once again want to thank Sean Hickey, Syracuse Offensive Line alum, for being a part of the show today, and definitely want to thank you for tuning in. We'll take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora for a fast break, and when we come back, we will announce our top dog of the week, proudly presented by Canine Camp Dog Daycare for obvious daycare for your furry-loving friends and Canine Camp Ground for the long-term care for your dogs when you're out of town. So make sure that you get in touch with them. They're both located in East Syracuse, right off of Bridge Street, across from BJ's, and they would love to have the opportunity to make sure that your pet is taken care of like family, because that's who they are. You know, Lily, to me, is my daughter. So whoever's going to take care of her has to do it right. I trust Canine Campground and Canine Camp Dog Daycare because of the people. It always comes down to the people. And when good people are running businesses, it makes you sleep a little bit better at night. So thank you to Canine Campground. Thank you to Chad. Thank you to Lorraine. And thank you to the entire team that keeps Lily doing well, keeps me feeling at peace, and keeps all of us feeling the same way about our furry loving friends, knowing that they're safe and sound at Canine Campground. We'll talk with you right after this. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Hi, friends and fans. Home Team Pub is the place to be to cheer on your fave home team. Located at 7990 Oswego Road in Liverpool, HTP has you covered with an amazing drink selection. Let's not forget about the signature drinks or those kid-approved gourmet milkshakes. The happy hour specials and pub entrees will have your mouth watering. Check out the website, hometeampub.com, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more specials. At Home Team Pub, you're always the MVP. Having peace of mind when you're out of town, that your furry loving friend is safe and sound, means taking them to Canine Campground. Because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets, it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound. Right, Lily? So take a ride to 242 Johnson Street in East Syracuse, New York, and see Canine Campground and where your dog will be staying. In the classic cabin, the executive cabin, the grand cabin, or of course, the luxury cabin. Because if you know Lily, you know she loves luxury. Now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend that'll take your dog for a few days. Call Canine Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pickup times are Monday through Sunday. Check K9 
campground.com for more information. That's the letter K, the number 9, and campground spelled with a K, dot com. K9campground.com. When you're going out of town, bring your dog to K9 Campground. Dominic's Restaurant, located on 1370 Burnett Avenue in Syracuse, is your home for Trivia Wednesday nights, 7 to 9 p.m., featuring host Dan Tortora. Assemble your team and join us at Dominic's Restaurant for free trivia with weekly prizes. Call 315-471-4262 to reserve your team's table. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you as we are Wake Up Call on the road, hashtag WakeUpCallOTR, hanging out with you on the road and, and giving you our full show here today, making sure that even though we're on the road, you got everything you need, you're all set and ready to go for the weekend. We appreciate you. We've had Great interviews and great people all throughout the week. Obviously, the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team on the show today. And we have had the likes of Gene Waldron, Syracuse Orange basketball alum, has been on the show with us this week. And Mike Horesco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, has been on the broadcast. Clay Sherman, who is the head coach of the Bobcats, uh, Brian and Stratton women's basketball team. He hung out with us this week, as well as the men's basketball coach for the Bobcats at Brian and Stratton College, and that being Dan Frasina, Papa Joe, Eric Kroom. So thank you to everybody that graced the stage of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora this week. And always, we appreciate you tremendously, and I cannot thank you enough. Uh, with that being said, I do want to hop into, you know, we speak about all these great people, and we're talking about the top dogs, right? So it, it's fitting to go into the top dog of the week, proudly presented by Canine Camp Dog Daycare and Canine Campground. And just for you all to know, if you need Canine Campground or Canine Camp Dog Daycare, you can get in touch with them. They're both in East Syracuse, and they are both right across from BJ's, right off of Bridge Street. So if you're looking for daycare for your dog, you can call 315-437-7110. That's 315-437-7110. And then if you're looking for long-term care, you're going to be out of town, you got some things going on, 315-299-4013 is for dog boarding at Canine Campground. That's 315 315- 299-4013. They're located virtually right around the corner from one another in East Syracuse, and they are worth the phone call when it comes to getting peace of mind when you're out of town and peace of mind in general when you just have a lot of stuff going on and you can't get home to take care of the dog and you want to make sure that someone with a personal touch will make sure that your animal is safe. 315-437-7110 for Canine Camp Dog Daycare and Canine Camp Ground, 315-299-4013, both located in East Syracuse here in our central New York community. And with that being said, the top dog of the week for this week, in my opinion, is my dad. You know, my top dog of the week is my dad. My dad has been going through some back trouble. It's been bothering him. It's been hurting him for a really long time. And I I can't stand seeing my dad in pain by any stretch of the imagination. And so I'm so happy that, you know, he's he's gotten to go through his surgery. I'm hoping that now he can get well, he can get better, he can feel better and, you know, and just have some peace. I really hope my dad can just at this point finally have some peace. So, you know, thank you to the doctors. Thank you to, 
you know, everybody that was there to help and to be there for my dad. I, I really cannot thank you enough for, you know, the, the, you know, just everything that you do because it's, it, you know, we all get nervous, right? We get nervous when our parents have to, have to go in and, 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 and have to have surgery and really have to have anything done. We get nervous about our kids. We get nervous about our significant others. We get nervous about our parents. And, you know, when it comes to, to my dad, to pop, you know, I want to make sure that he has the best care and the best doctors and the best medicine, the best everything. So I pray and I hope to that, you know, the road to recovery dad is, is, is short. I hope that we have a speedy recovery and a full recovery and that you finally, get to uh, get some relief that stays consistent. I hope there's no more surgeries after this. I really hope that this is the thing that, that gets you to where you need to be and gets you healthy, gets you well and on your way, and that you get to live out the rest of your life, hopefully into your hundreds, enjoying life and having fun and, and feeling healthy of mind, body, heart, and spirit, that you have health all the way around, you know, economically, physically, socially, emotionally, mentally, you know, spiritually and, and so on and so forth. So uh, I love you, Dad, and you are my top dog of the week because you're a trooper. So keep fighting, get better, get well. You know, I'm with you every step of the way, and I got your hand, and I'm by your side. So I love you, Dad, and uh, may, may, may the graceful and, and the gracious and, and caring and, and wonderful God that I know, may he take care of you and hold you in the palm of his hand, and may we all be well and stay well in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks, Dad, for being a top dog. And thank you to God for giving me a dad that, that, that really has, you know, over these last couple of years, we've really gotten to spend more time, quality time together. And it's meant the world to me. So with that being said, I love you, Dad. And we will take a step aside here on the broadcast. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have Ross Turetsky with us, a longtime family member of mine, in my opinion, sportscaster, sports writer, brother from another mother, and he joins the show from Northeast PA right after this. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Hi, friends and fans. Home Team Pub is the place to be to cheer on your fave home team. Located at 7990 Oswego Road in Liverpool, HTP has you covered with an amazing drink selection. Let's not forget about the signature drinks or those kid-approved gourmet milkshakes. The happy hour specials and pub entrees will have your mouth watering. Check out the website hometeampub.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more specials. At Home Team Pub, you're always the MVP. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. This is Wake Up Call OTR. That hashtag Wake Up Call OTR means Wake Up Call on the road. And with that being said, we are not on Facebook Live right now because we are on the road and we got to be safe. So we are here on your airwaves, uh, streaming on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, which you can pick up on wakeupcalldt.com. So we thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Make sure that you listen and watch our regularly regularly scheduled broadcast of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. 
and on Facebook Live when we're inside the studio, facebook.com backslash live now DT. So with all that being said, we're here on Friday's show. You heard the annoying moment of the week, proudly presented by Carvel DeWitt. You also heard our significant sound bites portion, and now it's time for the second part of the, or I should say the the other half of the show. I'm going to call the better half of the show, and that's no knock on anything else. I just call him my better half because he's one of my closest friends. He's a brother to me, and to me, he is he. You know, for everything I try to be good in humanity, he is the better version of that. So, with that being said, sports writer and sportscaster, and a very good friend of mine, Ross Turetsky, is here with us this morning. Ross, how are we doing today? Very well, and as they said in Wayne's world, they bow down and say, we're not worthy, we're not <laughs> worthy. Well, I bow down to you, my good sir, and uh, you definitely are a brother, and uh, I love you, man. As I said in the movie, got to be man enough to say, I love you, buddy, and uh, it's always a pleasure to get to talk to you. Yeah, I love you too, and, and I appreciate you know you being here, and I appreciate the fact that I have the opportunity to you know uh, to talk with you about you know everything that's that's in sports and and with life and and to have comedy and every I mean there's really no better person to talk to on the show and and I love the opportunity to be my own boss and say I'm going to talk to my I'm going to talk to my brother today I'm going to put him on the show because you know you you are you are one of the best minds out there you keep me on my toes and for the people that don't know a lot of the stories that we share and a lot of the things that we put up weekly I call Ross Turetsky my unofficial producer because he's always sending that information in kind of filtering the sports world and taking the thousands and thousands of stories and sending me the best ones and the pertinent ones and all that so let me start off the 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 opportunity to speak with you today by saying thank you for being my unofficial official producer I'm happy to help, and I'm happy I'm not annoying the heck out of you because I try to send you different movies, entertainment, and sports news that I think would be uh, pertinent and interesting. Try to, uh, I try to get rid of the ones that I think are just you know crazy stuff to talk about and conspiracy theories and all that nonsense. But try to give you the good stuff, and uh, if I can help, and that it gives you different ideas and stories for your show. Very happy to do that, and uh, I remember just a few weeks back we did a, a big, large segment on the NCAA thing with California to allow the players to get endorsements and make money and little did we know a few weeks later the NCAA has agreed to do the same thing so uh California that story was all a trendsetter and now the NCAA has agreed to do it and we might start getting EA sport video games again with college football and basketball like we grew up watching and playing those games and I love playing them uh there was even a college baseball game that I played back when I played college baseball and it was an awesome time we used to make up our own players from our team and put them on those teams it would be a lot of trash talking in the locker room about who was performing and not performing on the video game circuit. So it was so and so little things like that, and little did we know, it became blew up into a bigger story. Uh, just the simple thing about that: would the athletes get paid? Will it get challenged in court? And now the NCAA is like, oh, go for it. Let's let's do this. Yeah, you know, which is which is crazy. You know, we thought about it, and it ended up happening. You know, we spoke about it, and it, and it came to fruition. So, you know, the NCAA, as I said, if you want to get anything done in this country, you get North or you get uh, New York behind it. I was going to say North Carolina, but but no, so you get New York behind it, you get California behind it. I love you North Carolina. You're you're on my brain because the state is a great state, but if you get New York behind it or you get California behind it, 9 times out of 10 it's going to happen. And when people say, "Oh yeah, Dan, where's the truth to that?" Okay, well, if you go in the presidential election and you win California, New York, New York, and Florida, you've won the election pretty much. So, I mean, that's just that's how it is. And California 
push the hand of the NCAA. And I'm very surprised the NCAA responded within a year, let alone a few weeks. I'm absolutely surprised that they agreed. But again, California pushed their hand and California knew exactly what they were doing. And, you know, some people say they didn't, but I believe they do. Because again, you know, I feel like if you want to pass legislation, you go through California or you go through New York. And eventually, if people don't like it, they try to shove it down their throat. And the NCAA really was backed into a corner and had nowhere to go. And no court challenges. I thought, and maybe down the road there'll be some sort of court challenge, but I thought we were going to have court challenges up the gazoo. I thought there was going to go to the Supreme Court because some would be saying that uh, we fight the right for a player to get money and we'd just be California and how is that fair to recruit? Would they just ban all the California athletes who took the money? And in the end, instead of all these court challenges that got real messy, they came to an agreement very quickly. So I don't know who was in whose ear, what power brokers got this deal done. But that shocked me because I remember within like two or three weeks of us doing that show, that got resolved very quickly. Yeah, no, and it it was, you know, it's where we stand right now. I mean, it's it's the reality. A name, image, and likeness, there's going to be a way to make money. They're going to do it at the NCAA Division One, Two, and Three levels, it's all treated the same here. So uh, the question that I bring up, and you and I had spoken about this before, if Division One and Division Two athletes can get a free education, they can get scholarship. So Division One gets a scholarship, Division Two gets a scholarship, Division Three doesn't. Division One, Division Two, and Division Three can now make money on their name, image, and likeness. So Division One, free education. And they make money on the side with their name, image, and likeness with this new law that's being passed through the NCAA. Division two, same thing. Division three, they're going to, I mean, you, essentially, I look at it like they're going to use their name, image, and likeness endorsements to pay for their education. So division one and two stand to make money and get a free education, where division three is going to kind of even itself out and make money to pay for their education, which doesn't seem fair. The other issue, uh, and, I, and I definitely agree with you what you're saying there. The other issue I have is even at the Division Two level, which at least offers you can do some scholarship. Division Three, you can only do academic scholarships, so it's not the same. You know, Division One, you can get the money on the side endorsements, and you could uh, and you could get the free uh, education. But let's just think about it. Most of these endorsements, unless maybe it's a local car dealership, like for our Division Three Marywood, maybe it's a local Scranton car dealership, they might want a local athlete. But most people who are going to profit off this are the elite Division One athletes, and not even like the other sports, like uh, you know sometimes lacrosse or soccer or volleyball. It's going to probably be the major money sports. So in the end, this is mostly going to help. You know, it gives you the right for everyone to get helped out by getting endorsements and also your likeness and your jerseys. Most of this is going to help out the football and basketball, which are the powerhouse money-making sports anyway. And yeah. it's really only going to mostly make money in Division One because let's be honest, especially if it's a national advertising campaign, Nike or like uh, you know Toyota, big time uh, companies, they're going to want to do deal with like a superstar athlete who's going to become an elite NFL player or NBA player. They're not going to want to go with those the smaller, more obscure sports, and they're definitely probably not going to want to go with Division Two or Division Three unless it's a uh, like a big time like under a rocky type story so for the most part it's still as much as they say you have the right to make money it's mostly going to just help basketball and football the money making sports and it's going to mostly help just at the division one level because if you're not on a premier team like ohio state syracuse penn state uh alabama one of those types of teams even in division one if you're on a smaller place 
no one's going to want to hear from you on a national advertising campaign. The only way that would maybe be different is maybe a local car dealership where you live. Maybe they would want a local athlete. But for the most part, it's going to greatly on a national uh, scene, it's going to mostly affect football and basketball and only the elite athletes who are going to be multi-million dollar, multi-million dollar players one day as a top draft pick anyway. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing is, again, like you said, you know, it's going to it's going to help out the people that are, you know, the, the, the cream, the cream rises to the top, so to speak. And, you know, that's that's where we're going to be. You know, we're going to be with, you know, the Alabama quarterback making more than the Syracuse quarterback. We're going to have the Kentucky basketball player making more than the, you know, Boise State basketball player and and so on and so forth. And no, it's not going to be equal by any stretch of the imagination because if you're telling each player that essentially, you know, they're their own small business, then, you know, different small businesses make different money based on what they could do and how they could go about. And what's going to be a real issue here is, and I brought this up, local car dealership says to Marywood's point guard, point guard Smith, I'm going to pay you $10,000 because you're that big time point guard and you transferred from a division one school. You had some issues with academics. You got yourself right, but you're a true talent. And now you're at Marywood and I'm going to give you 10 grand. And then, you know, they say to Marywood shooting guard, shooting guard, Samson, they say to shooting guard, Samson, and I'm making up these names, obviously, but they say to shooting guard, Samson, Hey, guess what? We're going to give you 5,000. You're going to make half. Well, now, so Samson and Smith are in the same locker room. They're fighting with each other. Now, Samson wants to take more shots to prove that they're, they're going to earn more money. That starts some infighting between the team. Then, all of a sudden, one of them has trouble with academics. They sit him down. The dealership calls the coach and says, hey, we're paying this guy ten grand. He needs to play. And now, all of a sudden, there's all of these issues and all these hands in the pot. And now, the team's fighting within itself. The coaches are fighting the sponsors. And then there's agents potentially involved in all of this and parents involved in all of this. And, you know, push comes to shove. The reality of it all is if every man's there for himself and every woman's there for himself, how are we going to play these team sports with the fact that money is also the root of all evil? Yeah, that's why in the end, I still think as much as this is a step in the right direction for the players to be able to make some money and and, uh, profit, which is definitely deserved because a lot of these big time colleges make so much money, millions of millions of dollars off the backs of these hardworking athletes and you have like nick saban who's making like 10 million dollars a year as a coach at alabama gets basically like a free house gets to do aflac commercials uh he could leave to go wherever he wants in college or the nfl whatever he wants where that where the star athlete has to usually lease it out a year if he wants to transfer and, it, and it's hard for him just to move over to where, wherever he wants to play uh so it's not equal so as much as this at least is a step in the right direction where you get some of the power back to the players it's still not equal and in the end i still think that the NCAA model the way we know it and down the road, it's still going to erode, and it's going to be blown up. I still think in the end, you're going to hard. It's going to be hard to police this. It's going to hard to be able to make this equal for everyone. And yeah, they might just have to let money into college sports, and then it's not really being an amateur anymore. And it's basically like a quasi pro league now, because that's what it probably is going to become. It's it won't be the NFL, but it will be pretty close to it. It will be a step below the NFL. But I think it's going to be very hard to keep money out of it and egos. And people who are going to feel slighted and jealous of each other, as you said, it could definitely break out into the locker room. And, uh, and coaches might be getting a phone call from a car dealership saying, you better let that guy play because we have a deal. He needs to play and earn his money. It's going to get messy. I still think the NCAA model, which I know 
for all those people who want to be the Joker out there, all they want to do is watch the world burn and see chaos. That's what you might get because I still think in the next 10 years, the NCAA model is going to be blown up and it's going to look totally different in the next decade. You know, and, and you said that, and, and I had made the statement over the last couple of years, and, and I made that clear in this whole process. You know, I said if the NCAA keeps going the way that they're going and doing things that they were doing and, you know, not having a clear cut of, you know, if you break this rule, then this is what happens. It's essentially become if you break this rule in your Kentucky, nothing happens. If you break this rule in your North Carolina, nothing happens. If you break this rule in your Syracuse, this happens. If you break this rule in this. So, you know, there's there's been all these issues and all these things that have come about and all these things that have that have arisen. And that's that's, you know, the the tough part of all of this is because the NCAA, I mean, they did it to themselves, but what they've been doing over the years is governing however they see fit at that time on that day in that hour, which I stated what you just stated a couple of years ago. I said within the next five to 10 years, we're going to see the NCAA change and they're going to it's going to look totally different than what it is if it even exists anymore. And that's, you know, your sentiments exactly that that we're not going to see the NCAA the way that we know it in the not too distant future. You know, and that's and that's kind of the reality of it all. I lo- I love that. Say I I agree with you, Ross, wholeheartedly. There's this, this, and this. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't say it better than you know, wrapping up and summarizing that issue. Uh, I couldn't say, say better than you. I just say, yeah, uh, short, sweet. Yep. Basically, <laughs> yeah. I definitely. It's gonna be interesting to see, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's gonna be crazy. And then uh, I don't know if you've had a chance on your show to talk about it yet, but LeBron James and a lot of other star athletes have talked about it against it. Uh, the star defensive player from Ohio State who was a Heisman Trophy candidate, you know, usually that goes to the quarterback or running back, but he's a, defense, a star defensive player. Uh, he is now probably going to be suspended for at least four games, self-imposed by Ohio State as they investigate, but there's supposed to be like a small loan from a family member, from what I've read, and that he he's paid the loan back, but this was a loan to, I think, let his girlfriend or someone who uh, was closer to come to a bowl game because uh, they, they let, of course, the athletes, it's free for them to go, but if you want your friend and family, you have to. Uh, you maybe get a certain amount of free tickets, but you have to pay for them to go. Where they're going to stay, you know, hotel wise, how they're going to eat. He took on. A, he took a small loan from the family member, paid it back, and they knew about this a while ago. Ohio State, and I assume they had to delay probably do something. And now there's issues about it. Will he even be eligible to play again? Uh, the star uh, defensive player from Ohio State, who is, you know is going to be a star NFL player prospect. But that's another issue. I love Ron James, a big-time person who didn't go to college sports, but he's been very outspoken about it. And then his, the uh, governor of California, when he made the official announcement about the athletes starting to get money for uh, to play, he signed that contract on LeBron James' show on HBO. LeBron James has been very outspoken how ridiculous the NCAA is. And uh, so that's interesting to see uh, the likes of the power of LeBron James speak out against how ridiculous it is for that NCAA to pick and choose when they want to go after a star athlete. And in this situation, a lot of athletes and a lot of people are very annoyed at how they're treating this Ohio State uh, star defensive player. And they feel it's not right and that basically – he didn't do anything that really wrong. He paid it back, and why is he being punished? And a lot of times they go after players who come from poorer backgrounds. Well, this is their way out playing basketball and football, where they can make a better life for themselves and their families. And in the end, NCAA and some of these institutions who make millions off of them, and NCAA case, billions of dollars, yeah. they use these guys, and then they throw them away like trash. So that's you know that's another issue. I, did, I would be curious to know what your thoughts about the Ohio State player. 
Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the reality of it all is, is you know, the NCAA, like I was saying, you know, to kind of, to kind of uh, beat that drum is, is you know, they do what they want to do when they want to do it, how they want to do it, and their timing makes absolutely no sense. And you know, when we look at this, and, and it's you know, Chase Young suspension, uh, looking at the NCAA rules, so its implications, obviously on the the Big Ten championship, on the playoff title, on, you know, Ohio State season in general. So we look at this right now, and according to what's going on, you, like you said, it's... They're probably going to be number one still. They're the, right now, everyone thinks it's the team to beat. Even over LSU beat Alabama, and over all the other, and Clemson, the defense champions. Ohio State is the favorites right now to win the national title, but without their star player... That might change. That's a big. Uh, that'll affect a lot of people. Yeah, and, and there and there's there's uh, obviously the notion of there was a precedent set when Kentucky linebacker Denzel Denzel Ward, uh, where pardon me, in 2017 took 1,628 dollars from an agent and only got a one game suspension. So when we look at this and look at the NCAA rules, you look at whether or not he actually violated it. So it includes the amount of money that was loaned to Young, the type and timing of the relationship he has, uh, whether the loan was concealed, and whether he paid it back in full. You know, and these are all questions that, that that come up here. Now he had stated on Twitter, and you could follow you could follow him at Young Chase nine oh seven. Unfortunately, I won't be playing this week because of an NCAA eligibility issue. I made a mistake last year by accepting a loan from a family friend I've known since the summer. Before my freshman year at OSU, I repaid it in full last summer, and I'm working with the University of NCAA to get back in the field as soon as possible. I want to thank my family, teammates, coaches, and the whole Ohio State community for all the love and support. God bless and go Bucks is is what he had to say. End quote. So when we look at this, you know, it's it, it's it's just to me what it is and what it isn't, you know, the NCAA and the rules that they have and the book that keeps on getting bigger. And I had an assistant coach tell me at the division one men's basketball level, he goes, we don't even know anymore, Dan. He's like, we don't, we don't even know because the book just keeps getting bigger. Like he's like, there's so much stuff in it and it just keeps adding to, you know, it just keeps getting more. And I, I, Right. They're not even sure. Right. And my thing is, you know, I've talked to I talked to a player before, you know, I'm friends with a lot of these guys. I build relationships with them because, you know, that's that's how I live my life. I live my life on relationships, not stories. And because if you have good relationships, you have the best stories. So him and I are sitting down, we have lunch and I was like, Oh, let me get it for you. He's like, You can't. And I was like, What do you mean? You're done playing? And he's like, No. Like I just want to make sure that I graduate. I want to make sure I'm done. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you could be a booster. I was like, it's a $9 panini. We've been friends for four years. And he's like, yeah, man, it's crazy. NCAA is crazy. And so he wouldn't let me do it. And, you know, but I wasn't doing it like it wasn't to recruit him. He was already there. It wasn't to keep him. He was done. It wasn't for any benefit. The season was over. So, you know, it's it's just, you know, the NCAA rules are crazy. So with Chase Young, I look at this and, you know, I say to myself, you know, what were they, inve- like, how long did this investigation take? Why did it take so long? Why did they wait at this point? What is the true story? If you took the loan and you paid it back in full, and this is somebody you knew before you started your freshman year, then what does it matter? And how did it make, unless the loan made him go to Ohio State, it's not an impermissible benefit, in my opinion. If the guy goes, here's money, I'm going to give you $3,000 
for you to go to Ohio State. And he goes, I will take this $3,000 to go to Ohio State. If it's got nothing, like if somebody looks at me and goes, hey, Dan, I know you just went through, you know, something in your life, a little hardship. I'm going to hand, I'm going to give you some money. I want to help you out a little bit. And I end up playing college ball and they're like, well, why'd you take that money? And I'm like, oh, because because I had to repair something in my house or, you know, I was trying to help my mom with something. And if you paid it back, too, right. if you paid it back, especially with these new rules now where you can make money off your likeness, why can't he just even make, you know, I'm sure he could do, you know, commercials or do something. If he makes a certain amount of money, even if now the NCAA, even if it's paid off to the family friend, why can't, even if they just want to find him, he just, he, he, he makes some of the money off his likeness. Uh, with enough jersey sales or whatever he's doing, and he can just pay the money back. He can even pay a fine to the NCAA, and the issue's over. He paid the family friend back. He can pay the NCAA if they want to be nasty about it and, and fight him, and then he should be eligible to play. Right, and the thing is, is it's like, okay, well, we have to figure out whether or not it's a family friend. If it had nothing to do with his recruitment to Ohio State, then it doesn't matter because the only thing the NCAA should be trying to do when it comes to money changing hands is if money was changing hands in an effort to bring Chase Young to Ohio State. If the money if the money was given by said person, family friend, and that person said, I'm giving you this money once again because I want you to come to Ohio State, and he says, okay, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to come to Ohio State, then we have an issue with the NCAA. If he's giving him money to help him pay for something or give him a loan or whatever that may be, that has nothing to do with him playing, nothing to do with where he goes to school. Why is the NCAA getting involved? You don't get involved in stuff that doesn't, you know, it's like when you're a doctor, you know, I don't have doctors walk into my studio and tell me how to use my microphone or what the best microphone is. And I don't walk into brain surgery and tell him that he's got to move over an inch. You know, if the NCAA is, you know, this is a family friend giving you a loan. Does it have anything to do with ineligibility? Well, Dan, we brought, okay. Did the money make him go to Ohio State? No. Okay, then we have no story. Yes, then we have a story. But if it's a loan, this kid is allowed to take money if he needs to take money. If I, if, if one of my friends is on a team somewhere and his mom passes away and he can't afford to eat, and I'm like, well, I don't want you to die. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you, here's 100 bucks. Go buy yourself some groceries. Oh, well, Dan, I just got kicked off the football team. But it's not like his friend works. It's Yeah, if it's one thing if the friend worked for Ohio State, and then, yeah, if it's a way that he basically uh, backdoor channeled and found a way to recruit him to come to the school he worked at by giving him money, I right. understand. That don't let him play. You can ban him. But if he doesn't even have an affiliation with the school and he just gives money to help with, like, travel arrangements that uh, Chase Young might have needed, how does that have anything to do with his ability to play at a college institution where the guy has no affiliation to it, if the, whether it's a family friend or anyone? He's giving you a little bit of money, and you pay it back, and all that stuff. How is it not kosher when it's not? It's not like it's like a booster or a uh, or the athletic director for Ohio State that, that the friend is giving you money uh, and he works at the school. That I understand that it, there's a conflict of interest, but he has right. no affiliation with the school. Right, and my thing is, okay, why is it happening right now? Like, what, like, what, what's the incentive, and who's behind this decision? And that's, and that's what I heard. I don't know how true this is. And I don't like to spat out rumors, and they were to destroy them one way or another. They're one of the bottom feeders of the Big Ten. We talked about Illinois Star shows. Rutgers is awful since they moved to the Big Ten. But uh, they just played Maryland this week, and they destroyed Maryland, and they're one of the worst college football teams, especially since they've been, become a Big Ten school. There's a lot of talk that Mar someone from Maryland 
alerted the NCAA they were about to play Ohio State and uh, decided to now that's why the timing seems so weird right before they were going to play uh, Maryland is when this came out and that's when they had to self-imposed basically a four-game suspension and it had maybe had something to do with one of the teams that were going to have to play and they were going to lose to them badly anyway uh, to Ohio State that Maryland might someone from that school might have reported it and you know and that and that's the thing is if you know if there's something of that or you know somebody else it's just it's the timing of it all. It's just what it is. Basically, the NCAA sees a dollar go from one hand to another, and they go, oh, but you know what? If that was the case, if that was the case, NCAA, then there's a lot of places you should be going to right now. There's a lot of people that should be suspended right now. Why Why did John Calipari break rules in Memphis, but nothing happened to John Calipari, just happened to Memphis? Broke rules at UMass, nothing happened to John Calipari, just happened to UMass. Then he, with a slap on his wrist? Right, then he goes to Kentucky, and it's like, well, you know, he never... he. He, you know, he's he's clean. He's not doing anything wrong. And then Calvin Sampson, you got a show cause penalty if you bring him on to your staff for what? You know, it's like okay, so he broke rules. John Calipari broke rules, but the school suffered with Calipari. Calipari has never suffered. So you know, you you just you look at the situation and you say. Why is Kentucky different than UConn? UConn different than Syracuse. Syracuse different than North Carolina. There's no clear cut. If you break rule A, then this is this is you know consequence one. Rule B, consequence two. Rule rule C, consequence three. And above all those things, again, if my grandmother gives, or if the guy down there, I can't say my grand, maybe the family does. So if a guy across the street who's known me since I was two gives me a Christmas card and it's got a $50 visa card in it and and the NCAA finds out that I got that $50 visa card from the guy across the street and they go, hey, Mr. Timmons is a booster. Why? He's known me since I was two. I shoveled his driveway. He gave me $50 to go enjoy my life and now I can't play in my championship game? For what? So, I mean, the NCAA, again, they don't police everybody. They don't treat everybody the same. And the big, giant, gaping issue at North Carolina that they did an HBO special on, that got nothing. But a little family friend take a loan and pay it back. Now, all of a sudden, that's on the 10 o'clock news. But the fact that North Carolina players were allegedly getting falsified bachelor's degrees and were getting business degrees for going to do yoga, and they didn't even know what their degree meant or what it was basketball learn how to bowl those were the classes just so they'd be eligible to play and a lot of them said afterwards there were a few of the, the student athletes who didn't even know how to read and right. they were still getting passed because the school didn't care as long as they helped them win that make tons of money off them right and at the end of the day who benefits from that they're just at that point you're just an athlete you're not a student anymore right they should basically get rid of the student athlete part if you're just going to be there and taking a mickey mouse class about how to bowl and just to make an update here, Ross and I were having this conversation prior to the NCAA's most recent ruling. And that ruling is that the suspension will only be two games for Chase Young, the defensive end for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So the first game has already been served. That game was against Maryland. This game this weekend against Rutgers is the second game, and, and Chase Young will be made available for the big-time premier matchup. Perfect timing coincidental I guess <laughs> so perfect timing for the Penn State game coming up against Ohio State so I mean it, it is one of those things that makes absolutely no sense and you know this is this is the NCAA and again as Ross and I have stated repeatedly the NCAA is in a place right now now when they started when they started doing this it was the beginning of the end but they thought they were untouchable nobody's untouchable okay so with that being said, that happens. 
They're not untouchable. Things start to change. Then five conferences go, you know what? We want autonomy. Autonomy, by definition, is self-governing. What they essentially said, what the Pac-12, the Big 12, the, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 10 said to the NCAA was, you need us, we don't need you. So you're going to let us do what we want to do, and we'll still operate under your umbrella. But the moment that you piss us off, or we just wake up one morning and we burp to the left instead of to the right, and we decide we don't want to be here anymore, we're going to leave. Because autonomy is essentially saying we're a self-governing body inside of a governing body. That makes no logical sense. And they have the money to do it, especially a lot of them have massive uh, television networks for these conferences for right. Pac-10 and Big Ten and ACC. They have these massive networks, massive television contracts, and they don't need their civil anymore. So that's another thing down the road. I wouldn't be shocked if the major conferences just form their own alliance and then they just play each other and they don't have to worry about any of the NCAA rules. And then you can basically pay for whatever you want, pay, pay to recruit anybody you want, and the money will be free-flowing. It'll be very, it might be very corrupt, but I don't. Th I think at a certain point, if the NCAA uh, doesn't you know, follow suit or do something progressive enough here uh, and doesn't keep up with the times, they're going to be left behind in the dust. And they're like, we don't need you. You're useless anymore, and right. we don't need anyone to govern us. And the major conferences will keep all the money for themselves, and the players will get paid, and maybe that will be a better for everyone in the long run. But that means the NCAA, as we know it, as I keep saying, you say it, that will be kaput for the NCAA. That's what, that's what I still think the future is going to be. I think at some point that unless they give it to the demands of these power conferences, the power conferences will run this sport if they don't run it already. Right, and that's the thing. The moment that they decide, you know what, we don't want to deal with the NCAA BS anymore, then they're gone. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. Once they decide they're done, they're done. And who's going to stop them? The NCAA cannot stop the power five or the, the autonomous five. The power five is a media term. The autonomous five is a legislative term. They cannot stop the autonomous five. They can try to stop the autonomous five. The autonomous five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a new show. Disney's gonna buy the rights to the Pac twelve, the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, the ACC and the SEC, and they're gonna start a show called the Autonomous Five and yeah. and they're gonna fight and the Autonomous Five is gonna be told in five separate parts with five separate heroes, each representing a conference, and then they're all gonna band together to fight the big bad in the Autonomous Five team up movie, which is called Autonomous Five versus the NCAA. And spoiler alert, the NCAA is going to lose. So, you know, but it's it's the reality of it all. And, and nice plug to Disney Plus as I'm I'm sitting here in the studio and I'm talking to you and I'm I'm like addicted. I'm looking at Disney Plus and I'm like, I'm looking, I'm watching all the I'm looking at all the stuff. But the reality of it all is the NCAA needs to understand that they are treading in hot water right now. And this, you know, if I'm a school in the autonomous five. And I'm going, okay, so you punished Syracuse like they were beating up babies in public, and you did nothing to North Carolina, and now you want to do this to Ohio State right now, but you've done nothing to Kentucky. And, you know, so it's like you kind of go through this whole scheme of things and and say, okay, this person's guilty, but this person's not. But the, And at the end of the day, you're going to get sick of it. You're going you're gonna to be over it, and there's going to have to be a decision to be made, and I'm just waiting for enough coaches to get pissed off and go to their ads and go. Listen, I don't want to deal with this anymore. If I'm Jim Beheim and I got to be in trouble, then so does Roy Williams, and so does John Calipari, and so does this guy and that guy. Or else I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay my sentence if nobody else goes to jail. 
in basketball, you see Rick Pitino. I'm not saying he's a clean uh, coach. He's done some, uh, some alleged, some unscrupulous things. But he is irate. He's still fighting that somebody about it. Uh, and I think he's going to coach one of the, the, the foreign national teams in basketball. I, I saw that on his bid recently. So he wants to still coach. But right now, he's basically been kind of ineffective. Kind of a name. In name only, he's technically can coach again, but no one wants to touch Patino. And his his national championship at Louisville has been stripped from the record books, and the banner's been taken down, and he's been punished. And yeah. you know, it's hard to police everyone. They kind of blamed him on a lot of things. And yeah, maybe he could have done more to fix things at Louisville. But I know Rick Patino is saying that this is ridiculous how they attacked me. They said I should have known better as the coach and the the head of police, basically, of my program, that I should have been policed by guys better with the NCAA violations. And then other schools got away with other things that were pretty bad. So I, I know there are a lot of guys out there, but I know Rick Patino is still shouting from the mountaintop that this is ridiculous. And he is still to this day basically wants to it's like short truth. He wants to basically sue the NCAA and uh, fight for his right to say that I'm not this dirty, uh, you know, boogie bad that people have made me out to be. And the other part of it, too, is, you know, the NCAA was just doing an investigation on a bunch of different schools, and now they've halted it as the season's gone. So it's almost like, you know, and, and, and whether they want it to or not, it makes it feel like the NCAA is like, oh, well, we're doing this investigation. Oh, it's basketball season? Okay. Why don't we go ahead and suspend the investigation because, you know, Papa needs to make some money. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where you look at this and you say, okay, there's these schools that allegedly have violated NCAA rules. And we heard about Arizona and Auburn and Oklahoma State and USC and Creighton and Kansas and Louisville and NC State and Oregon. There's these different teams that have been brought up. And then now the NCAA, it's like, now it's totally quiet. It, we're going to punish them. At some point, you know, and, and it's like, well, we're not going to punish them during the season. We're not stupid. We got to make money. So, you know, it's 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 just the NCAA, again, they seem to always suit themselves, always help themselves, always line their pockets before they make any decision. And, you know, people that's, that, that make sure that they line their pockets with money and wear the, the, the nice suits and get all the accolades... Those people that, that tend to have morals only when it's not making the money and it's okay or there's this and that, it, those people always seem to end up all right, right? I mean, there's no Enron. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's none of these people that are, you know, going down to certain things like that. Nobody's been sought out by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, and I'm being sarcastic, but that's the reality of it all. I mean, when you have a ruling body who's lining their pockets with money going, well, we would do this. But we're going to wait a little while. You know, I mean, it's just those people never seem they look like they succeed for a little while, but they don't succeed forever because greed and all of those deadly sins, you know, greed being one of them, it eventually catches up with you. And the gluttonous NCAA that is greedy as all get out, that's obsessed and lusting after itself and money. I mean, eventually that all comes to fruition be, you know, and, and we eventually will see the fall of the NCAA. They've they've essentially set themselves on fire, but they're doing what a lot of people and businesses do that that get to a certain point. They think that they're untouchable. And when you think that you're untouchable and you think that there's no way that anything can happen, you start getting careless. And when you start getting careless and reckless, things start to come out and eventually somebody takes you down. So the NCAA has no check or balance, nobody watching them, nobody policing them. 
And this is a, a huge issue. Syracuse fans are never going to let it go. What happened to Bayheim in the school that didn't happen to uh, other people being investigated. UConn was investigated while they were playing in the tournament. They won a national championship during investigation and didn't have to give that up. So, you know, there's there's so many things that have gone on that make absolutely no sense. But again, this is coming from a quote-unquote non-for-profit organization that makes billions of dollars a year. Yeah, so and so much for, you know, non-profits. Like, this is not the sister of the poor trying to feed the homeless. This is a major institution that gets a lot of tax breaks from the U.S. government who looks the other way, and it gets a lot of reimbursement. And they are making so much money off these kids. So that's why, you know, I, I, I would love to even see the smaller sports. Those athletes get paid as well. Uh, as not just, you know, and I know they have the freedom to do that now, but it's, you know, going to be hard for them to get, like, major endorsement deals. But that's why I don't feel bad for anyone. It's like anyone complaining about their wage that, it should be fifteen dollars an hour. And you can make some money off the NCAA, or even and the NCAA is not even paying it. You're just making some money off, you know, advertisers, video games, this and that, uh, jersey sales. If you can make some money off being able to play for the NCAA, I'm all for it because these colleges and this institution, the NCAA, they are making so much money off these kids. It is it, at times it feels like it's criminal that these kids they should be able to make the money. They should be able to make what they're worth, and they should definitely not have to go home hungry or the hardship of, of trying to get home to their family if someone in their family is sick and they need a loan to go back home to do, for travel expenses. If they need that, they should not have to uh, They should not have to fear that their, their whole college career and their whole livelihood could be wiped out by this big, big brother institution known as the NCAA. It should be more equitable, this power, uh, the power dynamic, and that's why I don't feel bad at all that these kids can make some money at the NCAA if it's going to go down and become a different, a different the next decade or so, I'm all for it if it means it's more fair and more equitable for the student athletes. Because at the end of the day, that's what I care about. I was at a much smaller level at Division Three. I was a student athlete. I care about the student athletes. The colleges are great. NCAA is, is nice enough. They do some good work. They do some good charity work. They give you a platform to play at, at, at a high level and uh, – all these memories and friendships along the way, and if you're a really elite, I bet you go pro. But in the end, I care about the student athletes and their well-being, and that they don't get, uh, you know, basically bankrupt or morally bankrupt or financially bankrupt just so they can eat a sandwich after the kitchen closes at 12 o'clock and they've been practicing play to go to class all day. They deserve rights too. So I, I'm all for the student athletes and all for them having a more equitable share in this power dynamic between them and the big, the high almighty NCAA. Yeah, you know, it would be it would be nice to see. So it's confusing. It makes absolutely no sense. But Ross and I are here to chat about it with you and have some fun with it. So we appreciate you being here. This is a wake-up call. Fast break. Now that the weather has turned chilly, why not be a hero to your family and friends and treat them to some fresh, handmade ice cream from Carvel DeWitt? Whether it's our ice cream, novelties, or world-famous cakes, we make everything fresh by hand daily. Don't be fooled by the ice cream that you see in the grocery store that could be weeks or months old. Carvel DeWitt is the oldest Carvel in the country and prides itself on making the best, freshest ice cream every single day. Come on in and taste the fresh difference and be a hero to your family and friends. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. 
Charney's Men's Clothing is your one-stop shop for your men's dress-up and dress-down wear. Located on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, Charney's Men's Clothing is proud to be your trusted name for decades in suits, sport coats, tuxedos, and all accessories. Charney's Men's Clothing also provides sports and leisure-themed casual wear for the everyday man. Stop in and see our welcome and friendly staff on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. We are here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Ross, I do, before I let you go, want to get with you on the college football side of things here right now. As we stand, as we head into week 12 of college football, we look at the Division One A FBS conferences, and there's not a lot of undefeated teams Left, you know, the American. Well, we'll get to all the undefeated teams and we'll get to the one loss. The ACC only has one team that's undefeated that is Clemson at 10 and 0. Outside of that, the Big 12 has Baylor and Matt Rule, who is a coach at Temple. And I, I had him the entire time that he was there and always thought he'd be a successful coach. I thought that Syracuse should have called him. Baylor did. They got him. Turned that program around so far. 9 and 0 right now. Uh, the Big 10 has. Going to be a big one this Saturday. Oklahoma versus Baylor. That should be that should be a good one. Oklahoma is still a top team with Jalen Hurts, the former Alabama quarterback, Heisman Trophy contender, and against undefeated Baylor, who has not got a lot of respect on the national stage right now. Especially they had some scandals with their last coach. Uh, Baylor and Oklahoma look for that to be one of the highlight games this weekend. Yeah, you know that's it's going to be a, a huge game because this is a, a defining game for Baylor as Oklahoma has one loss. Ohio State is still undefeated at nine and zero. Uh, Minnesota is undefeated at 9-0 and inside of the Big Ten. Uh, no independents are undefeated, no Conference USA, no Mid-Americans. And Mountain West, no Mountain West teams are in the Pac-12, no Pac-12 teams. In the SEC, we have just LSU now. And then when we go to one-loss teams around the country, Appalachian State in the Sun Belt Conference without Scott Satterfield, who's at Louisville now. So big ups to them. Uh, Georgia in the SEC has one loss. Alabama has one loss at this point in the Pac-12. We have Oregon and Utah, each with one loss only. Boise State in the Mountain West has one loss. And from there, we go to the uh, Big Ten Conference. Penn State obviously has one loss after losing to Minnesota. And then outside of that, the Big 12, I mentioned Oklahoma 
in the ACC. There are none. And in the American Athletic Conference, they have the most. Cincinnati is 8-1, SMU 9-1, Navy 7-1, Memphis 8-1. So, I mean, what do you think when we look at, you know, the one-loss teams or the no-loss teams, the climate right now, the American Athletic Conference is, you know, got a, got three teams in the top 20 in the AP as well as in the coaches poll. They have one team right outside of it in Navy. I think they should be higher, but that's where they stand. And, you know, there's a bunch of one-loss teams and, and, and undefeated teams that are still around here right now. The Americans got a huge point of this. Just what you think about the teams that are in the best footing right now with one loss or no loss. Uh, the one that I definitely still think, as much as it's got boring because year after year, it's Clemson, Alabama, in the college fourteen playoff, and eventually they either play the semifinal or the national title game, like last year. Look out for Alabama because uh, Alabama they lost. It was a close game. To uh, it was it, a lot of those games have been like ten seven low scored defensive struggles. It was a scored shootout. Right? It was 46, 40, uh, 41. It was a uh, it was it was a high scored high flying game between Alabama with the return of their star quarterback Tua and then LSU star quarterback. Two guys who would be high draft picks in the NFL. Uh, and Alabama lost that game close. But Alabama is still in a great position that if they win out their games, Alabama is still not going to drop very far. Probably watch out tonight when they release the college football playoff uh, rankings for the second week here. They're not going to drop very far down, and the other, some other teams are going to fall down there, and Alabama's going to be waiting in the weeds, and they're going to be like probably number five tonight, and they only have to jump a, a spot to number four, and they have a great chance to do that. And Nick Saban and Alabama and this committee loves them because they're like, oh, they're going to always compete for national titles. They barely lost if that's their only loss of the season, it's against a top-level, uh, top-ranked team like uh, LSU in the hard-fought SEC where it's so hard to win on your games, go undefeated. They're going to get a lot of brownie points if they play a close, hard-fought game, and Alabama won't drop much, and Alabama will, will probably find a way to sneak into this four-team college football playoff. So wa- watch out for that. And then uh, and, and I totally agree with you earlier, <clears throat> last week, Penn State, it was kind of NCAA trying to make up for three years ago when they got edged out by Washington for the fourth spot. They were number five back with Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley and Penn State had all those star players. Penn State probably deserved to make that playoff when they were the Big Ten champion and they let other teams, I think Ohio State, who didn't even play for the Big Ten championship game, they got to sneak in there with Urban Meyer and Penn State won the Big Ten title. They got screwed over. Penn State, they got in briefly in the first week of uh, playoffs rankings. They were going to definitely probably lose to Ohio State uh, the second last game of the season on November 23rd. They ended up getting uh, knocked out two weeks earlier because Minnesota, who's undefeated, didn't get much love. Minnesota at home wins that game. They were up by a lot. Penn State almost came back until they threw that interception in the end zone. Penn State went down, and in many ways, I think that was a way of throwing them a bone and saying, now you can't complain because we had a chance. You got you lost your way out of there. So, and, and then the other team that was not in the original top four standards, Clemson, now is going to be back into the top, top standards. And let's be honest, I know all you Syracuse fans, and I love Syracuse too. We love the ACC, but for football, they're not a great conference right now. And Clemson's going to be able to run the table, go undefeated, win the NCC championship. And that's why they got penalized at times. They would get dropped, even though they're undefeated, in the standards because they didn't respect the teams that Clemson was playing. They're striking the schedule, where SEC and Big Ten play at higher level opponents. Uh, and then the non conference schedule at times is laughable that Clemson plays. They're like they're beating up, it looks like, Division Eight teams or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Clemson is going to probably definitely get in there as long as they win out, which looks like they will in a weak ACC conference. Uh, 
Alabama's going to probably sneak in. LSU probably will find a way in. And then as long as this Chase Young suspension doesn't derail them, and I think they'll take care of business against Penn State in two weeks, uh, Ohio State right now still might be the best team in the country if they have older players healthy and eligible to play if they get young back on defense. So watch out for Ohio State. So in the end, my top four teams are still going to be Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and Alabama, whether you like it or not, or find their way to sneak back into the playoffs. And in the end, we still might get stuck with another Clemson versus Alabama classic national championship game or semifinal. But it's getting kind of boring because every year there's only four teams they allow in the playoffs. I hope one day they at least expand it to an 18 playoff because they probably won't go to 16 teams. But if half of your playoff teams are decided before they even kick off the college football season, if you don't clips it Alabama, every year are going to be that top four of the playoff team. It kind of loses its luster and loses excitement when you know who's going to be in the championship and the playoffs when two of those four teams are decided before the year starts. So, unfortunately, that might happen again, and I, I still think Alabama's going to find a way in, even with one loss. And uh, people are going to be annoyed. Gonna, some of those one-loss teams you mentioned are very good, and uh, people are going to complain. Oklahoma's going to probably find their, uh, their way outside looking in because they lost that game earlier this season. They lost to Kansas State in a big upset. I think Oklahoma, though, this week will knock off Baylor. Baylor wins and stays undefeated. They have right to claim a spot in the top four. But I think Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts is going to knock Baylor off this week. So that will knock Baylor out. And uh, Oklahoma, even if they win all their games, I think Oklahoma is going to get screwed over because they lost a very bad game to Kansas State, which a lot of people aren't going to respect that loss. Uh, I think Jalen Hurt and Oklahoma, who got into the playoff last year with Kyler Murray, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, I think they're going to be on the outside looking in. And and like I said, a lot of one-loss teams, a lot of teams on the periphery, as you mentioned, they're going to be up in arms because until they uh, expand the college football playoff, four teams, not many teams get in. Alabama, the rich get richer. They're going to find their way back into the playoffs. Well, yeah, and you know the thing is, and this is what I want, okay? I want this college football playoff committee to have to make to have to give some answers. So I want Baylor to stay undefeated. I want Minnesota to stay undefeated. I want you know I want I want Memphis and you know the the Memphises and the Cincinnatis and the SMUs and the Navies to continue to push the you know put push it on this one. Now Navy's got to play SMU, so somebody's somebody's going to end up with two losses. In that respect, we know that's going to happen. And uh, the positive of Memphis is they already have wins over Navy and SMU in that three that three headed hunt for the west side of the American Athletic Conference. But you know, I want Cincinnati to stay with one loss. SMU or Navy, one of them can stay with one loss. Memphis can stay with one loss. And then on top of that, I want Penn State to keep pushing the term. I want you know Baylor to, like I said, to stay undefeated. I want these teams to keep keep pushing the envelope. In Minnesota to keep pushing the envelope to make it difficult because the only way we expand the college football playoff and get some respect for the American Athletic Conference is if enough quote-unquote power five teams, autonomous five teams, if enough of them get bounced out and they say, if LSU, see, listen, weeks and weeks ago, Papa Joe and I said, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama were our four teams to make it in the college football playoff. That's who's in it. If it, you know, in my opinion, right now, that's who's in. But if if Georgia, you know, Georgia, they keep winning, they got a case. Oregon's got a case. Minnesota's got a case. Utah's got a case. Penn State, Oklahoma, you know, Florida's a good team, even though they got two losses. Baylor would have a case, and then all these one-loss American Athletic Conference teams, they would have a case because some people say, well, all you have is UCF, and that's your bell cow, and everybody else sucks. 
UCF's got three losses this year, still has seven wins. There's four other teams in there. Seven of those 12 teams are going to go to the American Athletic. They're going to go to a postseason inside of the American Athletic Conference. And the worst team in the AAC is UConn, and they're leaving. So, you know, it's it, the, the reality of it all is the American Athletic Conference, if they keep winning, they can stake a claim here and soak in the Big 12 and soak in the Pac-12 and soak in the Big 10, and they can keep pushing the envelope. And the only way that we get anything changed is if the Power 5, quote-unquote Power 5, accidentally lets the American Athletic in by pissing and moaning about the fact that this season is going to be a very difficult one to pick. But, as I said a long time ago, I think it's going to be LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also said this year if it was LSU, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, and it was an all-SEC college football playoff, that would have been some damn good football to watch. So it would be, but there'll be people up in arms because they want equal opportunity and representation in their conference. And remember, a lot of those teams are not going to have to even compete in the SEC championship game or the Big Ten championship game, and they're still going to try to lay claim to a spot of the 14th playoff when there's other teams who have to play an extra 13th game and play for their conference title. Meanwhile, Alabama probably sits at home. And they just sneak into the playoffs like Ohio State did a few years ago. And Penn State fans were up in arms when Penn State uh, won the Big Ten title. And Ohio State snuck in over them. And Ohio State didn't even have to play in the uh, Big Ten title game. And Ohio State beat uh, uh, Ohio State lost to Penn State head-to-head. And they still snuck in over them. Alabama snuck into the playoffs that way without having to play their conference title game. People are going to be up in arms. So, hey, if you want to see change, root for chaos, as you said. Root for the, the teams that are getting no respect. Baylor, Minnesota, the teams of the American uh, Conference, root for them to keep winning and beat some of these powerhouse teams that make it year after year and cause massive chaos because then there might be enough up and on. Uh, I know it helps, helps the ratings and even with these rankings when they have the show where these people, uh, you know, they, they always want controversy because it gets you talking about them. But if there's enough people up in arms, maybe we get some change and maybe we can at least expand this to eight teams because we've said this a few times you got to at least make this an 18 playoff. And don't say these are just student-athletes. You can't do this because they're, they're busy with school. Th- that's ridiculous because at Division One AA, they have a 16-team conference, a uh, 16-team playoff, and a lot of the other schools, they play a lot more games. They don't have to just uh, – they're doing it through an inter, uh, intercession after the fall semester is over. And NCAA is right during the spring semester. They're missing lots of class time. Don't just say poor college athletes. They can't do this because the colleges will make tons of money off them. They'll want to make millions of dollars off them. So if ESPN and all the other uh, TV networks and the uh, college, uh, colleges that really want to get involved on this, if they get greedy enough and want the money – this is going to happen one way or another. They're just waiting, whether they wait for the, the next contract to uh, to come about and this contract to expire, they're going to want to make as much money as possible. And they're trying to pretend that they care about the student-athletes and that they're too they're overworked and this is not fair to them and that you can't make them play all these extra playoff games. It's ridiculous because at the other levels, they make them play the extra games and don't care anything about it. But then Division 1A, they're like, oh, we can't do this. You can't do it. <laughs> so you said there was never going to be a playoff. When right now there's really just an extra game you've added when you, for a while you had the BCS 1 versus 2 matchup. Now there's basically a semifinal and then a championship game. You were able to expand it to that. You can expand it to at least eight teams. And I don't think it destroys these student athletes where they magically aren't going to be able to study hard enough for their biology final exam. I think that's ridiculous. They'll find a way. They do it at the other levels. Let you let them have, be able to play these games and let more teams open up rather than sometimes five 
let other teams get a crack at this and see if the Cinderella stories can pull out these upsets and maybe win a national title. You never know. It happens in the NCAA with George Mason and Vanderbilt and all these other big-time schools. Uh, 16 versus 1, finally you uh, beat uh, – uh, they, 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 they knocked off Virginia the year before when they won the national title. Virginia got knocked off 16 versus 1 in the NCAA tournament in basketball. It can happen in basketball. It can happen in football. Give these kids a chance at it and uh, get a, let's see if they're good enough to compete at like Central Florida over these years when they've been really good. Boise State, hey, they've knocked off some of these powerhouse schools. They might be able to single elimination, one and done playoff game. They might knock off these big boys uh, schools, and I think some of these schools are panicking and scared because they know that it could happen, and they don't want to get embarrassed on national television. They want you to believe. They want you to believe the falsehood that because we're uh, we play higher level competition, we're SEC, Big Ten, Pac twelve, we're better than these schools. Don't give these little schools a chance. These little schools, they're scared of them because these little schools, they can come out there and embarrass them on national television and pull off these upsets. And as a college football fan, I want equality. I just want to see chaos in, in <laughs> these uh, college sports. I, like I said, the Joker's crazy, but it comes chaos in college sports. I want to see it. I want to see them get a crack at it. And just like Boise State when they upset Oklahoma years ago, I want to see these uh, little engine that could underdog stories play the big boy schools, and pull off these upsets. And, uh, let's see it happen. It's happening in NCAA basketball. I think it can happen in college football if they get a chance. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think that we should see it. I think, you know, I think it's about darn time that we start to see some of these things, you know, come through and, and, and seeing some of these, you know, seeing I, – I want, I want the college football playoff to be an actual playoff. And like you said – you know, well, how can, you know, how can we do it? You know, we don't have the time and this and that and whatever. But when I look at the grand scheme of things with, with, with all this, I've said it before. Okay, when you play college basketball, you, you come in, what, you're practicing, you're getting ready in the summer. Then, you know, you got your media day in October. Your games are November, December, January, February, March. Then you got your tournament in March. Then you might be playing until April. So you're playing basically the entire school year, basically both semesters for college basketball. So football is you come in, you know, you come in in August and you got your spring practice end of July, beginning of August, and then you play September, October, November, December. So you're not playing technically the second semester. You could do it all one semester. So you're going to say a basketball player can play basically the entire year and that's okay, but a football player, student athlete, can't handle the stress of school and football for an extra two weeks when the basketball players are doing it for like eight months. So, I mean, it, it doesn't make any logical sense, but again, the NCAA doesn't make any sense. And the reality of it all is, if you add a couple more weeks, it's more money for you, NCAA. It's more money for everybody else. And there's some fairness, God forbid. But you know what? It's an old boys club. You got to protect Ohio State. You got to protect Notre Dame. You got to protect Alabama. You got to protect now the Clemson. But God forbid you let in a UCF or you let in a Boise State or you let in an SMU or a Memphis or a Navy or a Cincinnati. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right, you bring in Appalachian State. You let them get a crack at it. You let San Diego State get a crack at it. Let these teams in and let them show what they can do. And you know what? If they win, they win because the College Football Playoff Committee, they did that. They did that to UCF a couple years ago. They said, all right, UCF, you think you deserve to be in because you're undefeated? Fine. We're going to put you in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and you got to play SEC's Auburn. And when they beat you, you're going to go back in your hole and you're going to shut up. Well, what happened? In regulation, not in overtime, not by a 50-yard field goal, UCF defeated Auburn. 
They took Auburn down, and they hung with within eight points. Everybody acts like UCF lost by 100 in their most recent game. Their most recent bowl game, they play LSU. They lost by eight. Well, LSU had their backups in. So did UCF. So at the end of the day, it's like you got a team that wins 25 games straight, and that's not a big deal, but they lose one. They right. laid claim to a partial national championship. They year they went undefeated. Right. I love and that. And they, they deserve did. it. And the thing is, like Boise State gets it. You know, it's like it's like it's like you make a peanut butter and fluff sandwich for your favorite kid, and then there's a little dot of fluff in peanut butter that's still on the paper plate, and you let the other kid lick it off because you don't really like that kid. That's what it is. It's like that's what UCF and Boise State get. They can't eat the sandwich, but they can have the little piece of, of fluff in peanut butter, so they can get the taste. They just can't have the meal. And that, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. If you're going to have a Division One A and a Division One AA, Division One AA, everybody can make the tournament. So Division One A, guess what? If we can't all make it and it's not all fair and it's always going to be Alabama, the ACC winner, another SEC team, and a wild card, then the reality of it all is it's just as screwed up as the BCS. If it's not going to be open to everybody, then don't say that it is. If conference i still think if you don't play your conference championship like you alabama did in a couple years ago you should be excluded from this playoff especially if you're going to keep it to four teams if you expand the playoffs then i don't mind you get it as a wild card if you didn't play your conference championship game but if you right now in only a 14 playoff when it's this few teams get in if you didn't even qualify to play for your conference championship game you should not be allowed to play for the national championship in this 14 playoff ohio state's done it alabama's done it you should not be able to sneak in the back door where you only play 12 games regular season games where another team had to put their their whole season on the line, play an extra 13th game in the conference championship, win or lose, and their whole season get derailed. It's not fair that they get punished and you reward, get rewarded for sitting at home doing nothing and sometimes losing to them head-to-head like oh, Penn State beat Ohio State head-to-head a few years ago and Ohio State got in over them in the playoffs. That's ridiculous. So that's why if you're going to keep it to four teams, then I don't want any team that doesn't qualify, play, qualify to play for the conference championship to even – even get a sniff at the 14 playoff. You want to expand it and add some wild card teams. Want to at least make it eight teams? Then I'm fine. I'll allow you. I'll allow some teams in. But otherwise, else you do not deserve to play for the national title in these 14 playoff if you couldn't even make your own conference playoff uh, conference championship game. No, and that's and that's the reality. You know, it's like if you if you don't play in your conference championship, you're not in. And the thing that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever is you have the quote-unquote power five, but you only have four spots. So one of those teams is always out, normally two of them because the SEC is going to send two, and then the Americans left out of it. The the, the other group of five, quote-unquote, they have no chance. And so if, if, if there's going to be five conferences that have a chance and five conferences that don't have a chance, then the reality of it all is then you need to have a Division one a a Division one AA, and a Division one tri- AAA, and just separate it all because the American deserves to play in something. The Big 12 is going to get pissed. The Pac-12 is going to get pissed. The Big 10 has been pissed. So, you know, this is where we stand right now. And if Clemson was inside the American Athletic Conference, they wouldn't be in the top four, and they wouldn't be they wouldn't have an opportunity toward the college football playoff because they would only have one good team in their conference. And that's what people say about UCF and the American right now. But the American has seven out of 12 teams going to a bowl game and four of them have one loss and they're ranked in the top 20. One of them just outside of it with Navy at 21 currently for week 12. So it's like, if you say something about one, just like the NCAA, you can't say something about one and not the other. 
for some odd reason in collegiate athletics, there's a lot of corruption and a lot of strangeness, just like Notre Dame. They don't have a conference. They can't talk about conference strength of schedule. They played three ranked teams this year. They lost to two of them. The only one that they beat isn't ranked anymore. But Notre Dame is above the entire American Athletic Conference with two losses and doing absolutely nothing against the top 25. What is that? It makes no sense. In this playoff system, they've gotten into the playoffs just last year, and they got blown out by Clemson and got embarrassed. All the Notre Dame homers and all the Ruby fans from the movie, they got embarrassed on the national stage. And every time they've played in a BCS or a playoff game, they've basically got embarrassed every single time on the national level in these playoffs, and yet they still get chance after chance. I know they played Georgia earlier the year really tough on the road in Georgia. It was a heck of a game. But, and then they lost badly to uh, Jim Harbuck in Michigan. But Notre Dame gets uh, gets away with a lot of things for not being in a conference just because they rest on their laurels of all the national titles they won a long time ago. Right. They last won a national title in 1988. It's been a long time, and since then, there's a lot of other schools, including Clemson, who've become and Alabama once again has become big. A lot of schools have become powerhouses. While Notre Dame has been very mediocre these last three decades since their last national title, and Notre Dame gets to, to, gets to coast free because of the name recognition. And in many ways, they're like the Dallas Cowboys and Duke Blue Devils and the New York Yankees, these major sports teams that have had great success, but sometimes they haven't won an actual championship in a long time, and they just rest over their history and their past and all their glory. That happened a long time ago, and it's not happened recently, and yet they still benefit from it. Well, let me ask you a question. Is this the college football playoff ranking history class, or is this the college football playoff ranking? I mean, are we talking by season, or are we talking about the history of it all? Because if we're talking about the history of it all, then Syracuse should be in there. So, you know, it's just the reality. Right, right. Yeah, they're going to win the national title always. So, I mean, I guess that's the question that I'm asking right now is are we teaching a history lesson? Is is this the is this the 2019 season or is this the 1953 season or is this the 1959 or 1972? I mean, I guess I got to know what year I'm in so I so I can know what to tell my kids, but the reality of it all is you're supposed to be ranked and you're supposed to be treated based on how you are playing right now this season with the players and the team that you have going up against the team that you're going up against. And what do people say about Notre Dame all the time? Well, you know, Dan, I mean, they're, they're, and, and I'm, this is not a witch hunt for Notre Dame. I would say this about anybody in this situation. But people look and they, they say, well, you know, Dan, I mean, you know, Notre Dame, on paper, their schedule is really, really hard. Well, okay, but on paper means nothing to me. On paper, the Cowboys should have won another Super Bowl. On paper, the Jacksonville Jaguars should have had the best defense in the country two years ago, and they should have gone to the Super Bowl. On paper, the Houston Astros should have won the World Series. On paper is on paper. There's a reason why you play the game. So, you know, on paper, Notre Dame is a good team. But I'm not talking about Notre Dame's last decade, last 10 decades, last whatever. I'm talking about Notre Dame right here, right now. And right here, right now, I said last year, let them in in the college football playoff and they're going to embarrass themselves. They let them in the college football playoff and they embarrass themselves. And I said, I was like, whoever they, I said, they're going to play in this game. They're going to get blown out. And they played in that game and they got blown out. But you know what? Don't listen to me because I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, it's, it's just the reality of what is and what is not. Because what I'm seeing right now in college football is there's a whole lot of love for the old boys club, but I want it, I want there to be an actual realistic 
college football playoff ranking system that has nothing to do with who your grandmother was or how many players went to the NFL or what did grandpa say or how much do the boosters give or how many alumni are in the city where we're going to have the championship game this year or how good of a movie was Rudy. I want it to be based on how you're playing this year. And right now this year, there's enough teams to make this a 16-team round-robin fun fun fest, but that's not going to happen. And there's only one team that can lose two games this year and every year. There's only one team that can lose two games and always be considered, and that is Alabama. And that's not fair. Teams year after year get the same opportunities, and the new guys don't get a chance. And as you said, it's an old boys network, and it still is, and for the foreseeable future it will be because they have – all the money, all the big-time alumni, and all this, all the power and, and cachet they get, and they don't want to give the elite guys a chance. But like I said, you give them a chance, they're going to pull off some upsets and embarrass some of these old, historical, great college programs would get embarrassed by some of these, what they call the lesser teams, who, I'm telling you, they're better than you think, their conferences are better than you think, and these, guys, these old boy teams are getting away with... Well, they're missing it away with murder just because of their reputations, and the other guys haven't been around long enough to have a positive reputation in the you know the ESPN, ABC, the national media's attention. So, I I want to see one day I have a true college football playoff. And my daughter just woke up for a nap. <laughs> yeah. So before we add that out, I also want to see your autonomous five show on Disney Plus. I want that to be on or Netflix. Whoever wants it, I want to see that be made. Well, no, it definitely, it definitely needs to be. And and again, you know, what do they say to UCF? Well, you know, you're, 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 you're winning now, but you didn't win in 1980. Uh, this, this isn't 1980, you know, These college players were alive in 1980. I wasn't alive in 1980 and I have a two-year-old daughter, another one on the way. It doesn't matter if you were alive in 1980, we're in 2019, almost 2020. Let's care about the actual college athletes now. Not, not from 40 years ago. It doesn't matter anymore. That's can't change just, the past, can't change the future, can only affect the present. And the present, what you do with it, makes a makes a good past or a bad past, makes a good future or a bad one. So NCAA, college football playoff, get your act together and let's make this a fair game because I really would like to see some good football played. And, you know, if Pete, and as Deadpool would say, if you're afraid to play SMU, Memphis, Navy, UCF, if you're afraid to play any of those teams, Cincinnati, you should probably wear your brown pants to the party. You don't deserve to be in the playoff then. You're 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 pathetic. You're too afraid to play these up and coming schools. So, put on your big boy pants and earn your way into this uh, play, a true playoff tournament. That's what I want to see in college football. Let's make it even and let's then for the play uh, take care of the student athletes as well. And let's see a, a true national champion be crowned, not. Who's better this year, a coin flip, Alabama or Clemson? And we can basically guarantee they'll be in the game when August rolls around before the first snap of the football season is played. Right. That's boring. Let's see them earn their spots. That coming from Ross Tretzky, sportscaster, sports writer, and someone that I consider a brother. So as always, brother, I appreciate you. God bless you. And to my to my niece and to the baby on the way, as, as well as your wonderful wife, I look forward to talking with you soon, and I appreciate the conversation as always. Thanks for having me, buddy. I love you as a brother, brother from another mother, and it's always amazing to talk with you. And let's enjoy the rest of this college football season. Hopefully Syracuse wins this week against Duke. Miracles can come true. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, as they said in 1980. Al Michaels, Miracle on Ice, USA was so you, you never know. 
hopefully things will get turned around for our Syracuse team as well and basketball as well that's got kicked off. But yeah, let's hope for a great rest of the college season and hopefully some of these uh, problems we point out, hopefully there'll be some remedies or maybe a year from now we're going to have the same debate. Let's see what happens. I'm hoping for the best, but we'll probably be debating this a year from now. But uh, thanks for having me on. I love you, buddy, and I'll talk to you soon. I love you too, and Syracuse's claim to fame, Ed Ogeron, used to be an assistant coach at Syracuse. So <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta take it. Eddie has a great voice. That raspy, deep voice, I love it. It's, it's like amazing. it's like he just screamed the night before and he's got you know, he's just got he's got that raspy like, I just lost my voice, I'm get I'm getting it back. You know, it's he's just in like a that. presidential debate with Bernie Sanders every night. They're both shouting at each other until they lose their voices. I love it. I think it's great. So Ed Ogeron for president. So with <laughs> With that, being, <laughs> with that being said, I appreciate it, buddy. I'll talk with you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That coming once again from my, what I consider my brother, Ross Turetsky, a sportscaster and sports writer in northeastern Pennsylvania, covering a lot of the high school football in the area and doing a tremendous job in life above all things, being a father, being a husband, being a, a, a tremendous, tremendous brother and of course, being phenomenal at his job of covering sports and always keeping his ear to the ground and always keeping me on my toes. So for Ross Turetsky, I thank him as always. You're listening to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. We are going to take a step aside and we'll wrap up the show right after this fast break. Charney's Men's Clothing is your one-stop shop for your men's dress-up and dress-down wear. Located on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, Charney's Men's Clothing is proud to be your trusted name for decades in suits, sport coats, tuxedos, and all accessories. Charney's Men's Clothing also provides sports and leisure-themed casual wear for the everyday man. Stop in and see our welcome and friendly staff on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse. Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, located on 201 7th North Street in Liverpool, is home to over 40 flavors with more than 200 flavors in their total wheelhouse. Sky's the limit for this sweet and savory Central New York company. Keep it local at your parties, fundraisers, wedding showers, baby showers, and more by calling 315-450-MA-PA. That's 315-450-6272 for popcorn bars with custom flavors and colors at your upcoming event. Make sure to visit them on 201 7th North Street in Liverpool, New York. And for more information, go to maandpazsnacks.com. Ma and Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. How corny are you? Trapper's Pizza Pub, located on 5950 Butternut Drive in East Syracuse. Right off of Bridge Street is your local community supporter right around the corner. Join us on site at Trapper's Pizza Pub for our live monthly broadcast supporting Central New York student athletes and their sports programs. Call 315-438-4444 for more information. And find us on Facebook and Instagram at Trapper's Pizza Pub. Trapper's Pizza Pub, your local community supporter, right around the corner. 
Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. This is Wake Up Call OTR. That's hashtag Wake Up Call OTR, which stands for Wake Up Call on the Road. Make sure you stay tuned to our normally scheduled broadcast where you can see us on video as well on facebook.com backslash live now dt that will come back to you the video uh, live on facebook with mixlr.com backslash wake up call dt internet streaming radio simultaneously we'll get back to our regularly scheduled broadcast with the video and the audio this coming tuesday november 19th but we thank you for being on the road with us thank you for listening to the show in internet live streaming radio and we appreciate it as always so god bless be well make sure to find us on facebook at wake up call dt twitter at call dt and instagram at wake up call underscore dt and 24 7 on wake up call dt.com